0: One hundred and eighty-five miles south. dot com.
1: Smash that Patreon button. One hundred and eighty-five
0: miles south a hardcore punk rock podcast. What's up everyone this week on the pod, we are jumping into the daunting task of talking about the best 100 punk and hardcore records of the two thousands helping out, you know him, you love him. It is the best
1: dressed man on the pod. It is Daniel Sant. What's up, Dan? I'm on my Manchester shit, black tracky top and blacked out kicks.
0: When this comes out, you will be in the plane on your way back to the country that defeated your old country. Uh, <laughs> also helping out, it is six foot two. What you gonna do, Posy Chris? What's up, Chris? What's happening? What is happening? All right, we also got an East Coast contingent because we did not want to have a blind spot. The two thousands are too good, too important. Helping out, Pennsylvania hardcore legend Richie Crutch. What's up, Richie?
2: What's up? Thanks for having me. You know, was, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. Hard work, lots of fun, lots of time and effort.
0: Mm-hmm. And also helping out, you know him, this is a Philly hardcore legend, Joe Hardcore. What's up, Joe?
3: Thank you guys for having me. Glad to be part of this group.
0: Yeah, man. So, oh man, Dan, should we just start this by talking the, uh, well, let me say first, go to the website, 185milesouth.com. Click that top 100 link and you can check out the list. We already did the 70s, we did the 80s, we did the 90s, and here we are doing the 2000s. This is the decade that I feel maybe the most self-conscious about just because every other decade there's a lot more consensus, but every decade that goes by, every year that goes by, hardcore splinters more and more, right? In the 70s, it's like pretty straightforward punk rock. In the early 80s, hardcore starts and there's different styles that are breaking out. In the 90s, it breaks wide open. But there's a bunch of different silos, and I feel like I could follow hardcore in all these different silos and kind of be a poser in each. You know, like, oh, I'm a power violence poser. I'm a grindcore poser. I'm a political punk poser. I'm a, you know, whatever. But you find a main lane. but You can kind of dabble in the others. By the 2000s, everything's broken wide open. It's also the uh, the decade when kind of regional hardcore – Kind of kicks a bucket, right? Regional hardcore is still going strong in the '90s. With the high-speed internet in the 2000s, that is kind of wiped out. Do you agree with that, Joe, or no?
3: Absolutely. Um, it's the beginning of an idea that crosses. You would never see somebody from like a Denver really cap up for death threat just because they made it done like two U.S. tours ever. But with the, Br- the Bridge Nine board. And the outset of this kind of homogenous thinking towards this is the end all be all, it really changed the scope. I mean, because this is when, you know, we were touring a lot. And in the beginning, it was like, oh, you listen to this. We didn't even know this band existed. And by 2002 or three, everything was everywhere. And there was kind of a pecking order, not unlike this list we're going to talking about, no matter whether you were in Southern California or Central Illinois or in the middle of Texas there became just basic principle. Like these specific bands are what's great throughout the entire United States.
0: Right. There became a, like a more consensus view of like, these are the biggest, the best hardcore bands. And, you know, maybe in the eighties, the nineties, you'd always, you know, stick up for your, your local heroes more so, but it's, it's all the way broken open and national or international by the end of this decade. Um, okay. So everyone go to the website, you can check the list, but we will talk. Dan, you want to do the top 10 or the top 20 to lay it out for the people that are just going to listen here?
1: Um, we can do the top 20 because I think that shows the variety. All right, also, you do
0: you do 20 through 11. I'll do uh, 10 through 1.
1: Okay, but just to speak on what you and Joe were just talking about, what what's really interesting is, yes, the beat, at the end of the 90s, the Rev board was huge and then the Bridge 9 board, and it just enabled such sharing of music. But certain scenes would still have the hype. So while there was a loss of a regional sound, there was still like regional hype, especially in this era. Do you know what I mean? Anyway.
3: I couldn't agree more. No matter what, you couldn't top. And I saw this at Edge Day 2000, because I had seen Bane six months prior to that on the outset of Philadelphia Suburbs, and they were still kind of newer. And then they played the 2000 Edge Day and the entire room knew every fucking word. And I was just like, well, I have no idea what's going on right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And also we can't discount high speed internet, right? And like the blog spot era coming in and just being able to, and Napster and that stuff and people being able to access everything for free. Right. That's a big yeah. part of it because back before when music is fully finite and, you know, and you're, you're buying physical pieces, you don't have access to everything. You know, so in the 2000s with high-speed internet, people start being able to access stuff that had been out of print forever and ever. You know, yeah, not people, everyone has like someone to be able to borrow their records and and record them down to tape.
1: Yeah, and people sharing even just individual tracks through AIM and all that kind of stuff. Like wild right. time.
0: Right. It it happens in this decade. Like I remember, I was living in North Hollywood in 2002 or 2003, and I didn't have high speed internet yet. And I downloaded Freebird, and it took like seven hours to download, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> longest solo ever. <laughs> I know like, the second half of that song kicks ass. The first half god awful.
1: All right, Dan, give us 20 through uh, 11 coming in at number 20, the suicide file, self-titled seven inch number 19 blood for blood outlaw anthems, LP number 18 blacklisted heavier than heaven. LP. Number 17, Wisdom in Chains, Die Young, LP. E-Town Concrete comes in at number 16 with The Renaissance, CD. Number 15 is Ceremony, Violence, Violence, LP. Number 14, Modern Life is War, Witness, LP. 13, In My Eyes, Nothing to Hide, LP. 12, The Mighty Carry On, A Life Less Plagued, LP. Number 11, Striking Distance, March to Your Grave, LP. All
0: right, coming in at number 10, Count Me Out, the LP, 110. Number 9, hate breed, Perseverance. Number 8, Demons in the Eyes of the Lord. Number 7, No Warning, Ill Blood. Number 6, American Nightmare, Background Music. Number 5, Tragedy, Vengeance. Number 4, Trapped Under Ice, Secrets of the World. Number 3, Madball, hold it down. Number two, Terror, lowest of the low. And the number one hardcore record of the 2000s, Death Threat, Peace, and Security. Let me tell everyone the, the way we came up with this. So basically, we had us five. We all ranked our favorite 100 records or who, what we thought was the best of the 2000s. Whatever you get, we rank number one. So you rank number one through 100. Number one gets 100 points. Number two gets uh, 99 points. Number three gets 98 points, et cetera, et cetera. Number 100 gets one point. Also, because uh, I wanted to reward consensus here, basically any time a second person uh, votes on that band, they got an extra five points. So any band that got all five of us to vote for them, they got a bonus 25 points. So Death Rick comes in, their initial total was 478 points. They got a bonus 25 points. They got number one with 503 points. So that's how it works. Richie, Overall, looking at like the the combined list, what are your overall takeaways and thoughts?
2: I'm I'm just like psyched. I didn't. If you would ask me, us five who who would come in as the number one band, I would never have thought Death Threat. I thought it was like personally. I was you know yeah. If it's my own list, they might make it up there. But seeing Death Threat just on the top of the the whole chart was really cool. Um, it's it's cool. The top twenty just mentioned because. Some of the bands I I really I don't know much about, and then some are just you know I love the way this this just worked out with the with the method you you went about this on, and it's really it was just really fair and a, s- a smart way. But uh, I thought for sure because I you know I listened to your podcast and I listened to Joe, I thought in my head it would Madball would have topped the charts. I really thought that, but when you know I'm not unhappy with you know Death Threat. I'm just saying. That's what I was guessing in the beginning. I was making a little bet with myself, and I thought for sure it would be Madball. But no shame in number three. No, no not at all. Three. Not, not all at The least. whole top twenty is like that's because there's there's a lot of cool stuff going on, you know, in that decade. So you know, my main whole. beef is that you
0: and Joe picked the wrong E Town record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that that's the thing that gets wonky. So everyone also like the way this works is. I like so. For instance, E Town. I put Second Coming on my list, but because uh, Joe and Richie had uh, the Renaissance, that one beats it two to one. So E Town Concrete, the Renaissance gets my Second Coming points, right? So it's got that fifteen uh, bonus points, and it's on there. So yeah, I mean, I don't. I honestly don't think that record is that great. I don't love it, yeah. um, and I love Second Coming. Like I think it's like so good. You know. So you know what?
2: I had I had the same. Uh, issue with modern life is war i thought oh Oh. you guys are picking witness Mm. like mine was you know midnight in america that was my joint and i think i even put mine let me look quick it was mine was in like the top this is my number three midnight in america modern life is war
0: (laughs) yeah that hurts that hurts when you have something that you love that much and then it goes
2: a different way yeah witness witness is dope but like between them i wouldn't have expected that
1: well i gotta say Zach tried to bribe me to put E Town on my list so that, uh, oh. that his
0: bit would go. I was gonna know when it was, when it was just me and Richie because the way it works if there's just two people if there's two of us they have the same band but different records whoever ranked their record higher wins. So at that time it was just me and Richie had it and I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna get Dan to put E Town as like number ninety eight or something. So Second Coming goes you know on the list, you know? And then Joe comes in and puts the Renaissance as number 1. And I'm like, "Ah, fuck it."
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yo, listen, the Renaissance is like out here, it's, it's highly regarded, right, Joe? I mean, that was just like it, it to us it made E-town like, "Oh yeah, they're better than all the other bands kind of vibe, like, you know. Like maybe, you know, song-wise, it was just you know, playing, it was it was just they were on a different level, and that, I think that record proved it. Joe, you want to speak on that because that's your number
0: one.
3: Uh, so Richie touched on some of this, but I, I take this to a different level. Maybe you guys will understand this. The second coming era kind of proved that it wasn't the this there was in, in the discography. Obviously, Rich to Life released the first record, and then there was the short Shady EP, which kind of when f- they really started taking off and playing not just halls but clubs. When Second Coming came out, E-Town really kind of came into their own, but I, I believe because they worked so hard, at least on the East Coast, you, they were y- ubiquitous. Like, from, I've seen them in Rhode Island, I've seen them in New Hampshire, i seen them in Maryland, I've seen them in so many places in that era just from playing with other shows and just being on bills with them, that I think all the work from Second Coming made them what they ended up being on The Renaissance. So during Second Coming, it was like when that record dropped, everybody wanted it because we had had so much of that material that was on the first CD in some of the demo tapes that the Second Coming material was some of the most original. Holy shit, E-Town actually has all new songs, like not any return to older stuff or rehash. Even Shady, they played live before they ever recorded at the record release because I was there at the pipeline. So, And I'm a super E-Town mark throughout. So I think because Second Coming came out and it was so strong, I mean, they were headlining six, 700-person shows up and down the East Coast. And then they kind of started ducking down because they were playing so much, they were wearing themselves out. And when the Renaissance dropped, the production value, the songwriting, everything shifted so greatly. People were like, holy fuck, these guys leveled up. And it was also at a time that, you know, Fury of Five is now gone. Hatebreed had gone to a bigger stage. There's all these bands at such a bigger level that E Town was one of the only bands from the mid to late 90s in the East Coast area that were still drawing big numbers when the Modern Life is War, the American Nightmare, the Converge were really the dominant forces. They were the last bastion of the harder stuff that came from the late 90s and they were still killing it. So when Renaissance came out, people were just like blown the fuck away. So second cut co- without second coming, e- and all the shows that Etown played and headlined and try to like create like a real band sound from, there's no Renaissance.
0: Yeah, I feel that. It is it gets a little more like based around the chorus and not just like writing dynamic hardcore songs.
3: Now, to your point, I probably had more fun in the pit going off. At the second coming era ever than a renaissance. I mean, in fact, the renaissance, they actually opened for edema, at least out here. I don't know if they ever made it west. And they started attracting the goofball OzFest crowd to their shows, but not in big enough numbers to get really big, but just enough numbers that it went from feeling like a hardcore show when E-Town was on to a shirtless bro dude getting beat the fuck up and all of us getting kicked out.
4: Well, yeah, you, I think-
1: you don't have love for the push moshers joe
3: <laughs> not so much now man not, not <laughs> on, definitely on. not then
0: <laughs> come on if they pay at the door and buy a shirt it's all love
1: oh listen
3: they can do whatever they want now that i'm uh more at the door and watching than in the and then in the middle of the pit but <laughs> i hated that shit then
4: yeah chris what are your overall thoughts on the list um a couple things one i want to go back to um what richie was saying about death threat um because I think a, a interesting thing about this, the math of this whole thing is like none of us, none of us on here actually put death threat number one. But because we had them, we all had them. And because we had them so high, like the math worked out that they came out number one, which I think is super interesting. Um, And then second, I think, you know, when I look at this list and I think back to this era, like what I'm going to say here isn't necessarily true for the people on this pod because I know everyone here kind of has a very eclectic and diverse range of tastes. And actually when I look at everyone's lists, like surprisingly so, but I feel like um, the 2000s, like this decade we're talking about was kind of the era in a hardcore where a lot of the walls started getting smashed down. Um, and it kind of became okay for people in hardcore to like a different, uh, like a bunch of different styles of hardcore, like across you know, across the scene, um, and and don't get me wrong, there were plenty of of new walls going up in in different ways. But like, I think from a stylistic thing, like the '80s felt very rife w- with like this attitude of people that were kind of planting their stakes in in the ground and saying, "Okay, I'm this style of hardcore kid, and nothing outside of this, you know, the acceptable parameters of this label is of any value to me." And uh, that kind of seemed like an attitude that was a lot more prevalent in uh you know in the nineties and and I I think, you know, maybe this is revisionist history, but I think that in this de- decade that we're talking about, some of that began to change. And you would see like, you know, a band like Martyr ID touring with Donnie Brook, playing with Reach the Sky, playing with, you know, By a thread or whoever. And and that's one of the things that kind of uh, stood out to me.
0: Yeah. With the mixed tours, like in the, the middle of the the decade, but also we should say in the beginning of the decade, the biggest wall that gets broke down is I think Joe, you and I talked it on your podcast, but like the label of, of tough guy, hardcore gets like broken down and, and death threat and terror are number one and two on this list. Like, I think that they're the two most important of like kind of merging, you know, like the posy kids, straightforward, like hardcore scene with like, the scene which was like labeled like the tough guy scene right death threat peace and security coming out on bridge nine records is a huge barrier getting breaking broken down and also terror like the the merging of carry on with buried alive right and so it's like now you have a band that's like universally loved by everyone and it's like all these people should have come together in the room in the first place right like i'll never understand this and i don't know i guess i wasn't there on the east coast of the time but like why didn't all the people that love floor punch love like the Clubberlang demo? Like that demo is great. It's like short, like the song structure is the same. It's all based off like, you know, relatively straightforward New York hardcore. The songs are short. Like everything's great. Like, why is that not like, why is it not in the same lexicon, you know, but it does get broken down here by death threat and terror. So right on, that's like a, a huge barrier. This uh, broken down, Dan, overall thoughts on the list.
1: Um, well, to that point, this list does skew a little tough guy hardcore if we're going to you know reference that term um just because we all all five of us have uh that over like that kind of venn diagram the overlap there we all have uh bands that we love from what would be considered harder hardcore you know so th- there's a lot of like hard hitting stuff on this if i had guessed before um before all the lists were submitted and everything i thought background music would have made would have been like the number 1 i just uh, that would that would have been my guess that american nightmare background music would have been number 1 because i thought like everyone would probably have it somewhere relatively high and it would have just gained all them consensus points but I think I think the list is fantastic. I, I love the you know, that it's scientific to an extent, but there are five people presenting the things. It would have been a, probably a little bit of a just a little bit of a different list if like Bedge or someone else had been involved. But Bedge screwed it all up by saying, Oh, I I couldn't even pick a hundred records from this decade, so he has to pay the price. Well, album. and he,
0: he was on, he was on like our 2001 super seven. Right. And he could barely fill out seven songs. So get out of here. Exactly.
2: You no know, stick the troll in the uh-huh. 80s band.
0: All right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's d- jump into some of these stats here. Sorry. Was someone want to speak?
2: I was just wondering, is anyone like not happy With or just think there's a band in the top twenty that they're just kind of like, how the fuck did that band get in that top twenty of the combined list?
0: Oh, we keep it positive. I'm not going there. (laughs) No, Richie, what what do you want to pull on that one?
2: For me, it's it's American Nightmare, and because just because he (laughs) mentioned that, like, (laughs) uh, I I was when he said he thought American Nightmare would be first, I was like, really? I was like, damn, that shit didn't even cross my mind i'm I'm surprised to see him in the top 20 but i guess you know i was missing out on on the the uh the the love and importance of this band at the time
1: what was your experience with them in the early 2000s
2: i just didn't know them one way or the other i knew the name and the logo but and i'm sure i played with them and seen them live i just i don't know they weren't in on my radar i guess
1: (laughs) well you didn't like you didn't notice like this zeitgeist of both like energy and hype that surrounded this band. Like I
2: I almost wasn't sure if they were like even a hardcore band at the time. Like I thought it was like, kind of like, you know, one of these bands that was in the mix for a minute and then they're going to go do something that they want to do. I I really, you know, I really didn't even know. (laughs) I'm just, I would, I was surprised it was in the top 20. Joe would know better if they were like, I mean, that was a big band around this way right joe or
3: yeah and, and to to speak to that the thing about it was if you were there in the and, and you know I, if you would ask me what this top 20 looks like i would almost say that in to keep in the 2000s theme if there was a giant cd book in someone's road trip vehicle almost every one of these cd's would end up in uh in the road trip book yeah they all fit and they all fit for that time specifically. Why you're not getting it has more to do with the fact is, especially now. If you really like zoom out, 2000 they play their first show in Philadelphia and South Street. By 2003, they play a show at the First Unitarian Church and they act like crybabies and get off stage. And by 2004, they're broken up because they don't they don't have their name anymore. So it, it really shifts. There was this flash in the pan where if you were a part of the younger B9 board kind of thing, or you were younger and trying to be hip with all this other, not our kind of hardcore stuff. Like if Philly wasn't Philly, we would never even caught it. But Philly ended up being like the epicenter for American nightmare fandom. Some of the craziest shit happened in Philadelphia for American nightmare, but as quick as it came, the quick as it was out the door. And so I could totally see you being like, Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember people knew about them things, but like they never were gonna be the band that was gonna hold on for ten or fifteen years because it was like a flash moment of greatness. And there was so much crazy hardcore going up in Pennsylvania, all other places that had nothing to do with American Nightmare. That it really unless you were down in Philly and Boston and some of the other stops here, just like even some of the New Jersey shows, I think a couple of times they played CBGBs, like there was a CBGB's mouthpiece show that was pretty fucking crazy for them, but if you were like more into the harder stuff, you either shoot it and we're like, ah, oh, that shit sucks, or like I don't even never seen this band before. And I remember people later on be like, oh, what's up with the American Nightmare? I'm like, oh, they're already they're already done. They called themselves a different name legally, and then they just said fuck it and broke up. But they were they were they were in and out pretty short as far as long term hardcore goes.
2: So am I am I wrong for thinking like they kind of weren't in the mix of the stuff? maybe i was into at the time
3: not at all not at all unless uh there was one show down here in a in a church hall and i think you were i know it was a school hall i think you were at it because stick was there and everybody was there shadow realm played punishment played. chris williams band played uh that was the first time champion came down this way and that that was was like yeah and that was in 2002 and that was like the first time some of the harder dancer people were seeing american nightmare it was kind of like oh, this is cool. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, this is cool. But there was so much of our own shit going on that unless you kind of like walked in a lot of different, like went to a lot of different diverse kind of shows, you never, you could have never even caught on to that there was this band, American Nightmare, playing and killing it in places because so many of the people that were into the band, when that band left, so many of them were fucking dissipated and gone. Mm.
0: Right, but let's talk about the important influence of them as well. Right. So I wasn't a early adopter of American nightmare. I came to love them uh, around the time the LP comes out. So the seven inches kind of missed me and they were like blown up by then. But I think what makes them so unique is a lot of the bands that are playing like, you know, semi straightforward, fast, hardcore in the late nineties. And around this time, like it, some of it starts sounding a little safe and a little stale. And American Nightmare comes out. The vocals are completely shredded and just
3: yeah, as hell, right. as and, hell, like ripped up vocals that you don't really hear in hardcore at the time.
0: Right, and the drum beat is just a tick faster, like a tiny tick faster than like bands that are coming out doing double time. Do that, do that, do that, do that, do that, do that. American Nightmares is just a tick faster. Do that, do that, do that, do that. You know, and those two combined, I was just like, you know, I don't love this. But I do love the idea that something so abrasive to the ear is, like, on top right now. Like, Mm. actually, like, something that, you know, like, a normal civilian, like, would listen to and it just sounds like noise is actually popular. Instead of, like, you know, the band's trying to go a little more melodic or a little more safe to the ear, like, they're the popular one. It's like, oh, this crazy sounding band is, like, the popular one like that's kind of cool i mean that's what i took from it dan what did you take from it
3: so i saw them at a saturday matinee in philadelphia with vorhees from the uk and a mixed bill and i everyone was like dude you gotta check this out and we knew everybody from tenure fight and even west we knew because he was down when they would play and what i saw rich was like people who would kind of stand around with their arms folded literally losing their minds. And there was a group of younger people that are all coming in the shows and trying to do fast stuff. And they all looked at American nightmare. Like that was holy shit. This is what everybody, because the late, the late nineties stuff was kind of like rehashed third rate chain of strength and everybody trying to keep whatever that vibe going. And it was just failing. And American nightmare came in with what he's What we were talking about really raw, aggressive vocals, really, really fast beats, And it really changed the entire platform if you were going from, as you said earlier, with the Floor Punch things. A lot of fans from Floor Punch either were like, oh, I hate the way these people dress and why is everybody talking about New Wave? This band sucks. Or the people that still really liked Fast, Aggressive, Hardcore jumped on because American Nightmare was playing with Kill Your Idols and Vision and all these bands that were still around from the end of the 90s.
0: Yeah. Dan, what do you see the importance of American Nightmare?
1: Well, it, it's, I mean, you've, you've addressed what it is sonically, like how they sound, but they also brought like an absolute rawness to what we could now term as like mental health related issues within hardcore, like um, channeling like lots of the old factory record stuff, especially Joy Division, but also through Wes's incredible lyricism and then also when you saw them live, they had these open gate like pedals that would keep noise going while they all tuned, got ready for the next song and just ripped into it. And it just was a well thought out, like amazing presentation of, ha- of the chaos that they were live sometimes. When they were on, they were one of the best bands you've ever seen live. And I, I take into point like what Joe said about them later on, it being a bit more like hard work for them. And then the passion like waned when it became like more hard work. But this time that this LP came out, it was just this fucking meteor. Like they were a band that was just in their prime when you saw them. Nail it, like it's one of the best. You know, they're up there with some of the best ever hardcore bands, like performing live.
0: Yeah, and also, Joe, you know, you talking about like E Town, all that stuff, like laying the the groundwork for the Renaissance. Like, it's pretty gnarly for a hardcore band like American Nightmare to do. They do two seven inches, right, Dan? Before yeah, LP? Yeah. yeah, two seven inches that people like love and is changing the game, and then they come out with an LP that delivers. You know, like, you would think that, like, because this is before bands are doing, like, multiple LPs, right? Like, how many hardcore bands in the history of hardcore have done three great LPs? It's, like, a pretty small It's impossible.
3: Number. It's impossible. The third's, like, the, the jinx of all. You guys could do it a whole podcast. You guys should do a whole podcast on the third record jinx. Because sure. it's, a, it's a phenomena in, in all rights. And exactly to your point, and I think it also addresses a weird thing that is not really present in the 2000s, which is the control of hardcore through Victory Records, you know, with the with the background music, with the Death Wish, with the Thorpe records and the Striking Distance, and with Martyr, smaller or newer labels were able to press out these these 7 Inches and these LPs and really kind of take back the DIY, more grounded, hardcore and hardcore record labels. And I think that's a huge reason where American Nightmare flourished was by being an East Coast band, put out by an East Coast dude who was at every show, slipping seven inches out. And I think the progress was made. Background music is definitely fit to be in the top 20. And I I think I put it at number six just because of its impact in hardcore. And I feel like sometimes bands ought to go out after the first one when they put out something like that. And their legacy is pretty well set just in the first four years of their band. That's it's only when they start playing with places like, in, for instance, when the last times we saw them, they played in Pennsylvania where a venue had a strict, no stage diving policy. And we ended up in a crazy thing with the whole venue over it and the security and whatever. But that band was made for small stages, no barricades and the full chaos of what hardcore is. And I think as they grew, I don't think they ever would have managed to have that same kind of energy coming out if they were touring like let's say if they wanted to do the warp tour or if they took like a full US with a chemical romance and no barricades the band would have been ca- like trapped in a cage and it would the energy wouldn't have been there
0: that's fair okay i want to jump back to the list here so let's go into the bands that had five votes so these are bands that all of us voted for and they ended up all real high first off just want to say all, all top five, all five of us voted for. So that's super sick. There's a lot of consensus here. Um, number one, Death Threat. We all did Death Threat, piece of Security. Uh, the number two on the list, Terror, Lowest of the Low. Four of us went Lowest of the Low. One of us went Always the Hard Way. Uh, number three on the list, Madball, Hold It Down. We all picked the same record. Number four, Trapped Under Ice, Secrets of the World. We all picked the same record. Number five, Tragedy, Vengeance is on there. Three of us went vengeance. One of us went self-titled and one of us went nerve damage. Mm. Number seven, no warning ill blood. All of us took that. Number eight, hunter demons in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, Three of us took in the eyes of the Lord and two took self-titled. Number nine, hate breed perseverance. All took that. Number 11, striking distance, march to your grave. Two people took march to your grave and one took, Oh, excuse me. Two took the self-titled seven inch Two (laughs) took march to your grave and one took the fuses lit. Uh, number fifteen ceremony. Everyone took violence, violence, and then number thirty-four down to nothing. The most four took the most. One took unbreakable. Uh, thoughts on this, Richie? The the bands that we all chose.
2: You know, my biggest surprise of I thought I was gonna. I don't know why I thought this, but I thought I would be uh, the only guy with with the love for tragedy like that like putting them that high. That was a surprise to me. Maybe just out of ignorance, I didn't realize you know uh that 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 album was uh so big to you guys as well. But uh other other than that, I don't think I had any big surprises. I give you the American Nightmare surprise in reverse. But mm-hmm. the other side the surprise that, you know, like what I thought was really good, but I didn't think anyone else was on it was that tragedy. And then when you just gave that stat about uh, you know, a lot of us picking even different albums. That's, that's a pretty cool sign for, for them. I think.
0: I yeah. think that like with this group of people we have here, like no one's been into hardcore for less than 25 years, mm. you know? And, and like with that comes a little bit of us liking multiple types of hardcore, you know, like maybe if you, if you surveyed someone that was, you know, in and out in five years, even 10 years, like they might not dabble in everything, but God, I mean, tragedy comes out in, you know, that first LP, I think is the year 2000. And God, such a game changer, you know? Mm. So gnarly. Um, Okay. Highest band with four votes was American Nightmare. Background music comes in at number six. And I should say, I fucked up and I totally forgot Bane. So they should be on the bands with five votes. So that's my bad. Um, You know, looking at my list, they would have ended up. I mean, top 50 for sure. So that kind of screws them a bit. Bane still comes in at number 23 on the list, but even if I ranked them number 50, they're going into the top 15. So that's that's kind of a bummer. They still get number 25. They also should have been on that consensus where we all choose it. Okay, uh, highest band with three votes, E-Town Concrete, The Renaissance, coming in at number 16. The highest band with two votes uh, is ringworm birth is pain comes in at number 41 the highest band with one vote Lars frederickson and the bastards their lp viking and richie that must have been way high on your list it comes in at number 90
3: yeah so you guys don't dig that album it just missed i couldn't me. put it in the. i couldn't put in the top 100 but it was a list of punk and oi stuff that i was really listening to at the time not even the top 100 it couldn't make
2: Dude, I'm gonna. I don't know
0: if I ever listened to that record before this, which is disappointing. Because did you check it out since? No, but I will. It's, on, it's on. I my think it's thing. great.
2: I, it's like so many. It's just. It's it just flies by. So many styles of uh, of, of songwriting in there. Like even like there's like a ballad track on it. It's just. I think it's like a great album.
0: I'll check it out because I love Rancid and we we sing the praise of Rancid lots on this pod. So, okay. The lowest band that had five votes uh, is down to nothing at number 34, the LP the most. And the lowest with four votes is Foundation, the Hang Your Head EP that came in at number 71. Also, the first 23 records on the list are all LPs. The highest ranked uh, 7-inch or EP is Limp Wrist coming in at number 24, the What's Up With The Kids 7-inch. Also, just wanted to make quick note The bands that just missed the list, so number 101, 102, and 103. Number 101 was Coke Bust. Uh, Their record, Lines in the Sand, it got three votes. Number 102, Billy Club Sandwich, Superheroes at Leisure, came in with two votes. And 103, The Casualties, Diehards, it got one vote. Joe did it as number 42, so it almost made the list. Um, Let's talk our number ones real quick. I took Madball. Hold it down, Richie. You also took that. Yeah. Um, it is the fourth Madball record, maybe their best record. I think that if if Set It Off didn't have so much sentimental value to me, Hold It Down would probably be their best record. But you know, I love Set It Off so much. But Hold It Down, dude, talk on that record a little bit.
2: The hold It Down is uh, that's my personal favorite from Madball, and that's yeah, you know, that it's just key. It's raw. It it's yeah, set, set it off like it sounds it, it it sounds like almost hold it down should be their their debut album. You know, it's like more raw than it's more raw, more simple than set it off somehow, but it's just like the lyrics are there, the bounce is there and and the the style of recording just just caught me. It's such a great record. I thought, you know, I thought for sure that was going to be number 1. But uh, hey, the death threat stole that shit. They came in out of nowhere. They knocked Madball in the head and said, "Move out of the way!" Bam, <laughs> they jumped in that slot. But I mean, it hold it down is key key to me, and I'm glad. Like, how many number ones you had? Uh, two, me and you. Yeah, that's great, though. That's great. You can't ask for more than that.
1: Dan, you took Count Me Out 110 as your number
0: one. Speak on that record.
1: Um, it's perfect hardcore. Like, it's absolutely perfect hardcore um it's aggressive has a bit of melody it's fast the vocals are aggressive and uh, audible and the recording is top-notch the layout top-notch i love count me out hell
0: yeah chris i blew it by not shooting the american nightmare conversation you apparently
4: because you are the one that put it number one speak on it yeah well first on count me out uh it, the interesting thing about, I guess, the way that the approach that I took on this is like, I this isn't my personal favorite. Like number one, number two, you know, like this isn't. If I was to make a list of my, um, like, certainly my favorites are are part of the equation. Um, but American Nightmare wouldn't be my favorite if I had to put it in there. It'd be top ten probably, but um, it probably would have been you know Carry on or Count Me Out. But I think. For me, like (laughs) I didn't have like like a specific equation in my head or anything, but like how much I love American Nightmare and how much uh just what they, I guess the energy that they brought to hardcore um and and the staying power for like fans of it um is kind of what put them at number one for me, I think you guys all spoke on uh, like a number of the the important factors, but I think a couple of things you guys didn't hit on are like, I think the presentation, Dan touched on it a little bit, like the, the, uh, the audio presentation, but like their aesthetics were, you know, they certainly cultivated an an aesthetic and, you know, a lot of that had to do with Linus Garcia's art, which I like was popping, like, you know, American nightmare really kind of like set the stage for Linus to get a lot of work, which is awesome for him. Um, But, you know, his art certainly was a big part of that as well as, you know, for better or for worse, like the mod haircuts and the track jackets and, you know, the joy division shirts, like there was certainly like a, a visual um, impact that was felt from this band as well. And then they were just like, you know, as Joe pointed out, they it wasn't like you know they weren't touring this whole decade, but when they were going strong, like they were a pretty powerhouse touring act for I don't know three years, four years, um, specifically in the Northwest where it's really hard to get up to the Northwest because it's so far out of the way of um, I mean we've all done that drive, it sucks, um, but you know they. They were a band that came to the Northwest a few times like over the course of a few years. And I think, you know, from a Northwesterner's perspective, like any band that comes to the Northwest more than once or twice uh certainly gets a lot of respect and love and um you know that impression like wow, these guys are powerhouses on the on the road. But um I think a lot of those things kind of play into like me putting them number one.
0: Yeah, that's a difficult thing, like figuring out how to balance making a list like this, right? Cause you are balancing merit versus your personal favorites. Um, Joe, how do you attack doing that?
3: I went with at least with the top 10 things that I can live with someone walking up to me after hearing this podcast and not want to smack someone in the fucking mouth. <laughs> so the first 10 is all records that if you got a problem with, we got hands, And then from there, it's either stuff that I really did truly listen to and really vibe with at the time, or I could also say, and after 20, it was records that absolutely people would be like, this is definitely should have made the list because I can cognizantly say that I was at, I can't even tell you how many American Nightmare shows. I was actually, there's a show at the kill time with American Nightmare and count me out. And for a minute, I'm like, yo, American Nightmare not be able to play after this band. And then when they played, I'm like, nah. A.N. really is that band. Like, I've seen so many of these bands. And yeah, it wasn't Ninja Kick, everyone getting a fight kind of hardcore. But I love the atmosphere. I love being in the shows. I love just the whole chaos of it, which is why I ended up loving Tragedy, seeing them in some shitty place in Philly and just being like, the chaos of it drew me more than the actual lyrical content or the you know the cool factor of the guys in these bands. So the first top 10 legitimately... These are records that I know front and back, left and right. And everything else was either stuff I really enjoyed or things that I knew cognizantly had a place in the 2000s and it deserved. So the number status might be a little bit wonkier from 21 plus. When it comes to Madball, hold it down. I was just happy that all the people like Sweet Pete and MII stopped liking Madball by that time because I was a kid when Set It Off was out and it was a very scary hardcore scene. And then Look My Way showed up, and all these posy dudes started loving Madball, and it really fucked the whole vibe up. So by mm. Madball Hold It Down, all the herbs with the crew cuts and good-looking hair gave up, and Madball went back to a really raw style. Uh, unfortunately, I think the only reason why I Hold It Down doesn't get as much love is Freddie went away, and the band kind of broke up after that, and we're kind of out of the picture until that 7-inch came out on Thorpe. But it, the only reason why I didn't make my number one is because I fucking... E-Town Renaissance is that record for that time period, at least in the tri-state here. Like When that record came out, yeah, there was American Nightmare, it was Converge. Every, pers- every show, people were either playing that damn um, Mandibles or the so many nights outside of their car. Like When the fuck does hardcore people listen to hardcore music in a parking lot? But that shit was going on even outside of positive numbers, Chris and Dan. Don't say it didn't happen because I was <laughs> there. Watch it happen. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I went with my list.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. Dan, how did you attack your list? And and was this decade different for you than doing uh, all the other decades?
1: Um, Yeah, I feel like doing this, it's just when I was like at a show literally every night, like for the first five years of this decade for sure. Um, And then had a little bit of a drop off and came back harder a couple years before the decade ended um so there is a little bit of a of a 2007 2008 like i didn't get as deep into my like ravenous appetite for hardcore as much around that time but what i will say is the way i attacked my list is i just did my favorites and then when I realized I couldn't avoid having like one of the most monstrous records of the decade, not acknowledged yet. So then I put in converge at number 48 Jane Doe. Um, because like at, at that point I'd done like all my personal faves because, you know, I know this is going to consensus anyway so I'm trying to give the stuff I really loved like that time in the sun and hope it you know does get consensus and does and make it on the greater list and then by about you know the halfway point is when I start acknowledging you know a few things on there that are just important for the general conversation of the decade but for the most part I feel like I'm lockstep with A lot of what was um, different, different like heaters throughout the decade, like different like almost like sound trends within hardcore at the time. You like definitely have a very wide list, and and it's uh, pretty much all over the decade. But obviously, it's going to skew a little bit to the earlier thing because I was touring and seeing a lot more bands and just buying records left right and center which i still am but uh you know the one thing that i feel my list has that doesn't necessarily reflect on many of the other lists is like that kind of hardcore well i mean for lack of better term like the locking out stuff so the bands that would go back historically and like you know love this one song by Warzone or this Outburst 7 inch or whatever and then kind of do bands built around that sound in a in a, a take of what the sound was also in the scene and like this hybrid like retro loving hardcore was like built that had a lot of bounce and vibe and and like visual aesthetic and stuff. I really ate all that up because it's just so fun and and you know, I love I it's why hold it down is really, really high on my personal list. I I think I had it at number four. Um because I love bounce in hardcore. I love a real groove. I mean, don't forget the struggle, don't forget the streets. It's one of my favourite LPs of all time and and lots of these bands that are on my list, like Stop and think, Dump truck, mental, all of them, Righteous Jams, like they were all like referencing this, you know, that kind of bounce and groove that was in uh hardcore from the past. So I think that shows up a lot on my list.
0: If if you're like a I don't know, a generic casual hardcore kid, do you think that Chris, you can take this do you think that we low rated Bane and Converge and have heart? Like if I'm looking at this list and I'm thinking about consensus beyond us five, maybe those are low Bane at 23 have heart at 29 and let's see. Converge at 33. Do you think they're unfairly low?
4: Um, I don't think they're unfairly low. I think it's just kind of the, how the algorithm works. Um, you know, I think, an interesting an interesting piece of this exercise and i don't know if this necessarily relates here but like if there's a specific record that grabs you like that can impact like like if there's a a record from a band that grabbed me in you know 99 and then that rec- that band has a record that comes out in 2003 Maybe I don't listen to the record in 2003 as much as I listened to the one in 90, you know, whatever I, the earlier one I said was, because it's, I, I keep going back to the other one or, or, you know, maybe the other way around, like something that, um, you know, like I'm looking, I'm looking at the list here and Joe has, uh, that reached the sky record. Um, the second reached the sky record, which is a great record, but like, for me, I always go back to the one before that. And so I didn't listen to that one a ton. Um another good example is Retaliate. Like Retaliate's a band that I love. Um <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Sorry to do this, Zach. But, so like, uh, it just hurt me. <laughs> Retaliate, I didn't take any other reta- I didn't take Retaliate on this list because what for me, when I really kind of fell with in love with Retaliate was in uh when Thorns came out, which was uh you know in the next decade. And so Um, you know, by the time I got around to checking out these other records, uh, I I would listen to it and I'd be like, yes, this is all really good, but I'm gonna go back to Thorns. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic. I guess it doesn't really answer your question, but I think you know to answer your question specifically about like the stuff that you know is converge low rated or you know have heart or whatever. It's it's just kind of how the math works, you know, like. Everyone has what is personally their favorites, and and that is the stuff that they high rate. And um, you know, there there's different people that are that have different tastes that aren't you know us five people. I I I can't remember what magazine it it was. I was I was trying to look it up, um, like Revolver, or so, something like that, like one of those big magazines recently put out a you know best records of the two thousands era, and and you know the person that that wrote that record clearly likes a very, very different style of hardcore than, you know, the five of us on here do. And, and I say that not to like disparage their list. Like I don't, I didn't look at that wrist list and say, Oh, that's a horrible I'll
3: list. I'll disparage that list.
4: <laughs> I, I just kind of looked at it and said, okay, I know the kind of person that wrote this list and it's not necessarily like, um, the style of hardcore that I love. So like, you know, I didn't really take any, anything personal, towards it but (laughs) it's kind of how i view like our list like i think there's there's not view our list like any of those fucking lists dude that's the whole point
0: of this right it's like i i've read those articles for my entire lifetime of liking music you know going back to you know being in fifth grade and reading like the best 50 heavy metal records of the 80s or some shit you know and it's like every fucking list sucks you know what i mean and so like i'm trying to make our list not suck and that's why I'm not making my own list, right? I We made our own list. We stand behind our lists. All our individual lists are posted on the website. You can go look at them, right? But for like this 185 Mile South podcast, what we're putting out is this combined list, right? What I'm doing is I'm choosing people that I like and respect their opinion about hardcore. And then we're building a consensus together. So hopefully there's, we're putting out something that is like better than Joe Schmo doing his best 20. And because what, what they're doing is they're balancing what they think people want and like what's going to get a click. Right. And we're balancing merit and personal love. And so like, I think we're coming from like a much more honest place. I don't know,
2: Joe, you want to handle that? We lived just to say that we lived this, like this is not like us looking back and doing some homework and being like, Oh wow. These guys made a difference back then. No, we lived it. Like, a lot of those lists that I see, I'm like, those these dudes that wrote this, they weren't around. They weren't checking. There's there no way that this is what they would come up with if they existed in that time. It's just a look back. It was on the label at the moment that people are you know talking about now. It's, it's like a revisionist, you know what I mean? But right. I'm sorry, I cut you off there to Joe. Go ahead. No,
0: Joe. no, 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 that's fair. That's fair. Joe, I want you to take that, and I also want you to, to talk on, do you think that we low-ranked those three bands, Converge, Have Heart, and
3: Bane? If you zoom out to a 22, 22, 2022 perspective here, Bane had a hold on a demographic in hardcore. And although that was heavily present at these very big festivals and in the East Coast, I have friends who were like, didn't even really fuck with them until the end of the two thousand. They started playing this hardcore like, yo, these motherfuckers are good. Remember Ray Ray first time he came to this artist, like, oh These guys are fucking mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Like sometimes and Dan spoke on it pretty well. They're that locking out crowd had so many great bands and great songs and great seven inches. And I've seen them in basements and places all around here. And I, with the exception of um, righteous jams, a lot of them had one or two times that I would ever see them and they never would come back. So I don't really place a high presence in my personal perspective on the 2000s but they have a place within it so it's like yeah jane doe is a fucking fantastic record for converge but i'll tell you what it's stuff on other records that were go people were still going off for as the hardcore scene you know like converge really transcended hardcore when they came out with that and they became something beyond the underground while still always being a part of our underground but the metal they, the metal people had to finally ex, uh, like respect them because of the prestige of that record and playing and all the things that come from it. So it's important that those bands get acknowledged. Well, the third band uh, brought up was Have Heart. I give no love to Have Heart. I mean, good record, but yo, you were in and out in three fucking years. You yeah, but they, and they, and, 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 and they, they were. Pretty-
0: they played the biggest hardcore show of all time though, Joe, right?
3: They didn't play no fucking hardcore show. They played to an algorithm-based fandom that was created post-hominously <laughs> because Bridge Nine, because Bridge Nine post that record created an algorithm on Spotify, which isn't a media player, it's a social media platform. And so what happens is mm. if I go ahead and I release Crutch and all the hardest shit in the nineteen nineties. And then I re-release all these pop punk things coming afterwards. The fandom that is connected through Bridge Nine and the uh, algorithmic created a scenario where all these herbs who were not even going to hardcore shows in two thousand and four, <laughs> five, and six are now super fans of a band they've never seen play when they do a reunion, and having seen Have Heart in front of nobody for well, the first time, they really came through Philly having booked a show at killing time, have heart and verse in 2007, and only 300 persons were there. And then them breaking up uh, auspiciously because they said, well, we just toured with Bane and you know, we don't want to end up looking like those guys only to return to do a reunion to 10,000 people, all of which were mostly not hardcore kids, but pop punk people. I don't consider it a hardcore show. It's a big fucking barricade and goofiness. But whenever there's a reunion, there's money. And I cannot say that I haven't been a part of that. So I'm not disparaging for reuniting. But I I personally, from looking at the social media of all the people that went to that first big show, that looked like Warped Tour V3, like the return of. So I, I wouldn't call Have Heart that overall important to the 2000s at a wide angle lens of all the things that were going on. They had two records that I think my friend Jeff still hasn't sold out of. And then they have a record that algorithmically is supported, but when they were playing, they weren't selling a 1,000-person rooms out. And that needs to be said. If It's hard to look at something like how people worship bands from the 1980s, but were not born at that time. If you look at the time when Have Heart was playing, they were dope. And I'll tell you what, I've seen some crazy shit at a couple of their sets, but they were not the penultimate hardcore bands. It's only in hindsight and with the balance of all these pop things that came in that also sound a lot like it, but that record was shit owned by hardcore kids because foundation was popping up and all this shit that was coming out of United blood was like, oh, this have hearts all right, but this shit is crazy. And so the, the, the difference is what's actually in play live in the two thousands. Isn't going to look right in 2022. Yeah. Bane should have went a little bit higher up because Bain played with a lot of different things, but they also weren't, I mean, Bane might've played with man ball in Europe, Maybe a couple times in New England, but it took later on for Bane to kind of like be something that everybody in hardcore knew because there was so much going on with their own label and equal vision and the bands that they play with. Even though we talked about earlier in the homogeny of hardcore, there was still plenty of these pockets where like Tra- Tragedy never played with Madball. did never played with Manball, Rambo never played with Madball. Everyone was aware, not everybody, but most people were aware of all these bands, but there wasn't such a time with so much activity of everybody traveling and everybody booking their own tours. Not every band crossed over and played shows in America. It's kind of weird that so much crazy shit was popping up at that time and yet all was kind of like a pocket universe. So you'd play Texas, and you might know what this is, like Far From Breaking, but people who knew, unless they were local, might not put together that Far From Breaking is a part of the same hardcore scene as Will to Live and Pride Kills. Right. You know, like, there still is, like, this regional thing. So I don't think they got underwrote. I think if you really fucked with Bane, you're going to fuck with Bane. I mean, and if you didn't fuck with them no one would have walked up to you in hardcore like are you fucking crazy for not knowing them because there was tons of shit going on it was actually one of the best times because there was so much still going on because it was pre the internet really dominating people not having to go to shows to be a part of our scene Emission and presence was still the end all be all you couldn't sit on a, a social media platform You couldn't go and make a YouTube channel. You couldn't go on Twitter. You couldn't have these high ideals about what was going on in our scene because you had to fucking be there with your own eyes. And so nowadays, it's a lot easier to have these like armchair quarterbacks rewriting history or specifically pontificating by eliminating specific admissions to what a top 10 list should be. I think our own perspectives are felt on this list. I was loved watching you guys come in and and guys gave me some reminding thoughts like, Oh yeah, that record actually was really cool. And to talk about what Chris said, yeah, sometimes a different record would come in. Mm -hmm. Like reach the sky was insanely important in this area and new in New England. So although I probably listened to the first record more, they were very present in this area. So I didn't want to not have them be mentioned because of what they were for our area in hardcore. And so with this list, sometimes it might have been the 90s records that I popped more, but I'm not going to uh, omit them from the 2000s because, again, that second record, they were still playing tons of shows on. And that live experience and that presence in our scene played heavy dividends. And it's, and again, I both have heart. I, I like them as a band. They had a moment. But again... Uh, if you're not doing this all the time or like if you're not a Vogel, you're not a death threat. You're not a Chris Williams. You're not these people that stay with this shit. You do your three or four years and then you go off and you do something else. It's cool that you did it, but we're not going to build no fucking shrine to you.
1: Yeah. But let me push back slightly on that. Cause Please I, do. Cause I fully, I I'm in your camp with it. Have heart really haven't mattered to me. But one thing that is interesting is if, if you think about a record as a piece of art and it is consumed later and later on and becomes one of those maybe tentpole releases for a decade in, in its, you know, sub- substance beyond while the band was around. Do you know what I mean? Like, we've, we just talked background music ad nauseum. The way it looks, the way the lyrics are, are written, and the way it's presented, it is something that lives beyond its time. Of that band being amazing for you know three years. Same with you know to some people, this Have Heart record has meant the world to them. Now I have it very low on my list, and uh, it's nothing that I've really go to to listen to ever now but i do recognize that it was um you know a very important record for a lot of people but i think it has grown in its death being but to me my personal view on it is they were just loving what bane did and did their own take on what bane was now (laughs) aaron bedard's voice is a lot harder for the average average kid in the street to wrap their head around whereas pat flynn's voice is maybe a lot easier for them to wrap their head around so for me have heart is bane light but for a lot of people who like and and i think you did an excellent job describing what half of that crowd because definitely hardcore kids from all over the world flew to go to that show so that record has mattered massively to people, but the other side of it is absolutely nailed on what you said, which is um, lots of hipsters have discovered this band through um, algorithms and and you know recommendations and whatever. But it doesn't stop the fact that this record has meant something to them. Do you know, what I, gotta, I
0: also, I I'll also, give me, I got a Joe real quick though. I think that we shouldn't discount. Also, you know, you you saying they drew three hundred kids, not a thousand kids. Drawing, you know, three hundred kids in the mid two thousands on a a half killing time is pretty and verse
3: with killing time with verse killing time verse. Ki- it just there was it. There was people who liked them but they weren't buying the ticket. That's all I'm saying.
0: Right. Yeah. Fair.
3: And, and, and in 2006, they turned down playing this hardcore to play Baltimore. So I booked them the Monday after and they played mm. it for 75 people. So they were still growing when that record was produced and it took later. Now I'm going to give you this basic, simple numerical reason why I think so bad brains, 17 million for band in DC. No one will argue that. The song most people would go to for Bad Brains is Band in DC. 2,200,000 and plus is for a song called Pave Paradise, which is Songs to Scream the Sun. Armed with a Mind and Life is Hard Enough. Armed with Mind has 2.2 million, and then Life is Hard Enough has 800,000. Almost every record with this Songs to Scream at the Sun has almost 2 million listens. Versus the record when they were playing a shit ton, like the record that really was the record for them in hardcore, only one of the songs hits two millions on Spotify. Spotify is an algorithm-based social media platform. It's, it has created a scenario where there's 102,000 monthly listeners for Have Heart, a band who, previous to their demise, wasn't selling out 700 or a 1200 person rooms all the time. And yet we go to American Nightmare who we all agree factually better impact huge and their number the one song that has a million plays is a record that came out in 2019 and the most uh the biggest song from their big record is 500,000 and they rank only 24,000 monthly listeners. Unfortunately, we can never use lists like this and put them up against what we're now dealing with, which is a algorithm-based world where suggestions to the outside non-hardcore people can come in, observe, and consume our culture. And then it's good when a guy like Pat Hart, have Hart who still does bands, they're just not hardcore bands, gets the love and support that he should have probably got when he did that fucking record. Cause that fucking record and that song "Arm with the minds out of outrageously good. What I'm saying is, is we can't pat them on the back for a reunion because a bunch of people from the pop punk world, because Chris started releasing pop punk records made have heart popular with people who would never have seen them at the first Unitarian church with killing time. That's my only point. And if you I look like- at, and you look at these algorithm numbers, you got 24,000 monthly viewers or uh, monthly listeners for a band American nightmare that was way huger or I okay, can't, that's not even a real word. How fucking hood is that? <laughs> and you have a hundred, who's a hundred thousand people doesn't have our every month. Right. But, the and, have, but the that's have thing, the have heart thing
0: did convert though. People showed up, right? And it, so it showed
3: up. But what I'm saying is, is it is easy to click a button and be a fan in 2022 or when was that reunion, 2017, 18, it was not easy to show up pay for a ticket. And, and Dan actually brought up a good point because there were bands who did not have great singing voices. But at the time when Bane was ripping ass, they didn't have a great voice. And Bane was doing pretty well for themselves playing some pretty big rooms when Have Heart was still growing on hardcore scene. At the time, Have Heart was not where they are at post-hominously is my point. And the people who brought them into the fandom were never hardcore people for the most part, because there isn't a hundred thousand hardcore people listening to all these other bands.
0: But rooms are always filled by casuals, right? So I don't know. Not that many. I don't know. I don't know if the percentage changes too much. You know, if there's 7,000 people there, there's X percentage of, of casual people compared to, you know, when 200 people show up. Like it's, I'll, it's totally I'll always deb- I'll,
3: always i'll always fight back and say it's a pop bunk <laughs> fandom that
4: made anyone give a fuck about them well that's why if, we love you Joe. can but, i can i add one thing on on them real quick yeah i i don't disagree uh any of this discussion on uh, like the playlist uh pop for for them and and some other bands i do think though like you know and, and joe's not like advocating against this because I believe joe you have them on your list but yeah, they're,
3: they're definitely on my list. I, I mean, I've seen I them a, bunch. I, think seen the them a place, bunch. I like them.
4: <laughs> I think the place that Have Heart has is like they were a great band, great live. Uh, you know, translated on record, they were a straight edge hardcore band. That for the course of maybe three years, they were probably the biggest straight edge hardcore band in the country. Like, would you would you disagree with that? Disagree. Really? Who do you who yeah. do you think would be bigger at that time? I might be forgetting someone. Bigger? Like I mean, straight edge hardcore band.
3: Were they playing straight edge hardcore or were they straight edge dudes playing hardcore?
4: I would say both.
3: I don't know. I was seeing a lot of kids who were straight edge hardcore bands that were killing it in the locking out world that were shitting on bands like Half Heart and Bane who were also had straight edge members. So I think at the two thousands, it was still that kind of my circle, my friends versus you and your friends. You know what I mean? There was a lot of pettiness that was, Still in all them little different pocket scenes, you know. Sure,
4: but would you would you say that there was a bigger straight edge hardcore band like during Have Hearts? And I'm not saying there's not. I I just can't think of someone like in that era. They're post champion, champion, right, Chris? Yeah, I would say champion. (laughs) Champion was fucking big as fuck. A post them. Who broke up? I mean, I think they were bigger than us. They kind who of started up. popping after we broke up, and I think they got You guys broke us. up what,
3: in 06 or 07? 06. Yeah, so they, they had their last big pop in 07, so they probably just came right after it. It's hard to say because I think that there was a huge amount of kids who were just straight edge. There was the mm-hmm. posi numbers world and the locking out world, and then there was the I love straight edge hardcore. That's fast and weird from Europe, but Mm -hmm. I ain't going to no my show. That's this, like there was a lot of pretension. (laughs) So you you can't really get a good number on it. And (laughs) I mean, there was still tons of people that were actually fucking with bands like infest and all these Mm -hmm. like uh, faster stuff. That was more from, let's say ABC no Rio crowd versus CBs that you don't see now. You don't see as many of the ABC no Rio bands getting loved in the 2022s like they did in the 2000s. You know, like I think there there's a lot of people that cognizantly were like still fucking with bands in the '80s that now wouldn't. Um, but yeah, I guess maybe they were. They, I have a shirt that says "Half Heart Straight Edge," so maybe Half Heart. But I I I I I would also say I've seen Righteous Jams play some wild ass shows in Philly and Boston that looked a lot crazier than Half Heart. So who the fuck knows?
0: Are you satisfied, Chris? Uh,
4: I mean, yeah. I guess I, I I I disagree. I just I just think they you know for the at least them, two years you've seen them in
3: you've seen them way more than I did outside of Philadelphia, yeah. Boston, and Maryland. So you would have yeah. a much wider viewpoint than me. So I would always say you have a better perspective, and your mileage would totally be dominant because I aside from seeing them, let me see New Jersey, Maryland, New York. Massachusetts. That's the only places I've ever seen them. So you you did tours with them. So you might yeah. have seen some stuff in these places to get a better perspective. But for me, I, I think they're a cool band. I think the algorithm helps a lot of bands post hominously and ignore other bands. Mm-hmm. If you look at there's bands now that literally exist, the young bands are coming out that worry about what Spotify Spotify subscriber numbers they have. And it's like, look, if if you're if your band is playing for fifty people, has the same amount of subscribers as American Nightmare, throw that number out the fucking window and just keep playing.
4: Yeah, I mean, when you know, when we talk about the algorithm, Have Heart, like you said, was not playing to a thousand kids a night, and this, you know, this was before that. Or algorithm. they wouldn't
3: have broke up. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but but they would play to you know, on the West Coast, the bigger the you know the a the a markets, they'd play to you know three to. 400 kids on in the small town scenes, they would play to 80 to a hundred, which is pretty damn impressive for a straight edge hardcore band. But.
0: Well, yeah. And we also shouldn't say like that they're that low ranked, right? It's number 29 out of an entire yeah. decade, right? It's just I, with those three bands stand out to me. Like if, if your average kid was making a list, you could easily see Bane have heart converge being top 10. So. Absolutely. Touch
3: on. I also think with your list, there's not a single band in the top 20 that didn't play on the road. Maybe Carry On didn't tour as much as and Count Me Out. Maybe didn't do that many tours. But I mean, Ceremony made the list, and they didn't even really start touring until 2006. But their impact was so big. Same thing for Modern Life Is War. They were in the later half of the decade, and they toured a lot. I think a lot of this still shows. That you either have to have a big regional pop like Count Me Out, Wisdom of Chains, E Town Concrete, you know, like Suicide File, I know they toured a bunch, but then they stopped playing for a while, and then we had them in two thousand and nine at This Is Hardcore. But a lot of these bands were played played on the road enough that people would know them regardless.
2: Mm.
0: So I I'd don't say- think that
3: they were. I don't think they were. I don't think Have Heart, Bane, or the other record or Jane Doe was disregarded. I think it just comes down to what you did with the numbers and our personal yeah. preferences.
4: I think, I think that's an interesting discussion there. Like, um, these are all for the most part bands that worked really hard and got out on the road. Like when I look at the list, I would say probably no warning is the one that pops as the band that didn't really tour. Like they didn't really build their name off of touring like crazy.
3: That record though. And, great, sh- yeah. and what, and what show and what shows they did. And at the time, that the, the front man Ben did like they were just an impactful thing. And I think, look, again, the thing about victory and the money they had in hardcore, and this kid puts out the seven inch, <laughs> and they're like, all right, fuck victory. You know, every kid wants this no warning record. It's fantastic to see that.
0: Yeah, that's on Steve Martyr's label, right? And we yeah. should just one quick note uh, yeah. you said that Mad Ball, the comeback seven inches on Thorpe. The CD versions on Thorpe and and Steve puts out that seven inch.
3: Oh, he did the vinyl for that. I didn't even know there was a record for that. That's sick.
0: Right. Yeah, dude. Because you know your boy Zach's got the test press. Shout oh, out to Smarter. What's up? Steve um, uh, he All right. Now we go to Ben Edge for uh, some statistics. What's up, Ben?
5: What's going on? Um, so it's funny. I. I broke out all the regions and the years and all, like I do with all of these uh, best of decade lists we do. But uh, Zach did something pretty funny. He he actually created like a professional looking pie graph of um, the uh, regions. And, and there's this giant blue thing that's, that's the USA. And it like dominates the entire, you know, pie, which is funny but uh, we want to get even more granular than just USA versus other regions. We want we, we always do East Coast, West Coast, and then we do the middle of the country, Midwest slash Texas. And and then we look to other places like continental Europe, Canada, UK, Japan, et cetera, for these things. So uh, without looking, I know that the UK – dominated the 70s list east coast dominated the 80s list but not by a ton and i think and i know east coast dominated the 90s list by even more and i think this is the most east coast dominated list so far but go figure you you got two east coasters to uh you know contribute their lists so we you you kind of got what you expected so we have 54 picks from the east coast 28 from the West Coast, nine from the Midwest slash Texas, one American pick that just can't be categorized by region, which is Limp Wrist, because we found out, and I've played many shows with Limp Wrist, but never really thought about like, where is this band from? Because I think Martin, he's from Chicago, then he moved to California, but I never thought about the other members it's like a lot of guys from like Buffalo or upstate New York. And then Martine's not from there. And it's, it's so random. We just put, we put them under miscellaneous United States. And then, uh, so that means 92 total from the United States, two from Canada, three from the UK, UK keeps, keeps shrinking. Um, and, and three from continental continental Europe, zero from Japan, Zero from Australia is, is what we have on this 100 list. Any thoughts on that, Zach?
0: Uh, I think it's a bad idea. I don't know about Australia in the 2000s, but as far as Japan, I have a bunch on my personal list. Everyone can check uh, 185milesouth.com. The master list is there as well as our individual list. I got a bunch of stuff. I, uh, I don't know that Crow Records on there. Um, I'll, I'll mispronounce the band, but Muga, M U G A. They're on there. I got a I got a fair amount of stuff, maybe five Japanese things. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, but disappointing. And, you know, I didn't want everything to be West Coast centric. So that's why we got Richie and Joe to help out. And so I think uh, America is pretty well represented. But really, I would love to see some lists. If, if people live in the UK, continental Europe, Japan, Australia, get at us. Hit us with your list. I'd love to see uh, what your perspective is because – you know, we can only speak for ourselves, but it is not the universal truth. You know, so I don't know what's your what's your idea, Ben.
5: Um, I mean, it's kind of like it, here's a good question: if you took the two East Coast guys out of it, what would the number, what would the breakdown look like? I mean, it's too much work to do at this point, but I, I still think the East Coast would would be the would be the dominating region don't you think Zach
0: yeah I mean it, it just has been for for hardcore mostly right since uh, the 90s you know really the 80s I guess too or yeah. the the later the second half of the 80s and then to current times right you know or maybe current times is like the first time that it's like switched and you know there's a lot of west Coast stuff that's on top right now
5: yeah and I I don't know what a, t- a tens list would would look like but i just have a feeling that we're only like on our we're we're into our third year of the 20s sounds so weird to call it the 20s cuz i'm thinking of the 1920s but like i think the uk is going to going to have a much larger representation you know when it's you know 2030 and you can do your your top 100 2020 to 2029 list man that sounds strange um Very futuristic, Um, but we can do, we always do um, a breakdown of the 100 list by year as well. So we can go to that if you want to now, Zach. Yep. Um, So um, this is always interesting to find patterns. I think when we did this for... When we did this for the 70s, obviously, the last three years of the 70s were most of the picks because that's, that's when punk records started coming out in the first place. And then for the 80s, it was like there was a big bump in the early 80s, a dip in the mid-80s, and then a bump again at the end of the decade, which we expected as well because you have that first generation peaking in like 83 and that second generation peaking in like 88, 89. And then for the 90s, oh, man. Uh, I think that we had a huge bump, which was like all in 1990, which was sort of like the everything getting sloshed over from the eighties, like whatever chain of strength bands like that still putting out records in 1990. Then you had a little bit of a dip and then, it, and then I think it was, it held, it holds kind of steady the rest of the decade with, with the lowest number being the last year of the decade. So here we go for this decade, 2000, we have 16 picks, 2001, 17 picks, 2002, 10, 2003, 13, 2004, 8, 2005, 10, 2006, 9, 2007, 6 picks, 2008, also 6 picks, and 2009, 5 picks. So you have the first half of the decade is far more represented than the second half of the decade. So if you break, break it into five-year chunks, 2000 to 2004, you have 64 picks in that first half of the decade. 2005 to th- 2009, you have 36 picks in that decade. So first half of the decade, there seems to be a huge bias in favor towards. And then with the, the largest number being 2001 and the smallest number of the whole decade being 2009 with, with only five picks. So, um, is this kind of what you expected Zach? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, just from,
0: from our age, right? Like the, our formative years are like the the late nineties, the early two thousands. So that's like when a lot of stuff connected with us so much, I mean, myself, Dan and, and Chris and Joe's the same age as me. So you would think that like maybe for him as well, so yeah, I, I figured it would it would aim a little earlier uh for the for the more popular picks, but I don't know it, it really yeah it's those first four years, two thousand and 2003, it looks like is is the bulk, and then it kind of the next few years it evens out like an average around like nine, and then it falls off to like an average of of six or five. But really, if you think about it, it's like, I don't know, how many albums have to come out in a year? for it to be considered a great year for hardcore. You know what I mean? It's like, if you get five great albums, like that's a pretty good year, right?
5: Well, it's quality versus quantity. You could have a year that has like, you know, only 10 good records, but if five of them are like stone cold classics, then that's a good year. Right. So it's like, it really matters. It's just those individual albums that probably matter more. But when you do a thing like this, you know, a hundred's a pretty big number. Like you're gonna include stuff that's, I guess, pretty good when you're getting into the you know '70s, '80s, '90s. Not 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 just um, stuff that's like classic front to back albums. So, I think this gives you a good idea of what years you think really hold up compared to others. I mean, two thousand one. I mean, we did a super seven for 2000 and for 2001. And I remember th- be, kind of being surprised that 2001 was better than I remember it, but I don't think you did a couple super sevens within this decade without me, right? You must've done a 2006, man. I think
0: we did 2006 and that's yeah. the only other one we did
5: for this decade. Right. So, um, uh, how old is Richie? I don't know, Ben. Okay. (laughs) Because I'm trying to think like we're all kind of in that same age group. I just thought, well, I don't know how old Richie is. So maybe. He might
0: be seven or eight years older. Okay. He's definitely older though.
5: Right. So that makes sense that the bias would be in favor of the earlier in the decade. And then when you get closer to like where we are now, it seems like it will become harder to judge the later years of a given decade, especially if you did another one for the tens. I don't know if you're going to, but like, th- wouldn't that, I don't be think we enough? will. It's just too yeah. soon. Right. Like what yeah. are,
0: what are the rules of the baseball hall of fame? Right. It's like, it's, it has to be a certain amount of years removed. You know,
5: the only so hall like, of fame. Like- yeah. The, the only hall of fame I'm really familiar with is rock and roll hall of fame. And it has to be 25 years removed for your, your first record, your first record, Commercially released recording had to have come out 25 years ago. Yeah, but who gives a
0: fuck about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well,
5: who gives a fuck
1: about the
0: Baseball Hall of Fame, (laughs) right? It's pretty good. It's a pretty good Hall of Fame. The Baseball Hall of Fame is a pretty good Hall of Fame.
5: What's cool about the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I only know this tangentially from other people talking about it, is that there will be years where no one is inducted, which is so cool because it's just like, you know – the people who we're not doing this just to put on a show, like an H- HBO three hour program to get ratings, like kind of a rock and roll hall of fame thing. We're just doing this shit because this is what really matters. So that that's kind of cool. Like integrity wise.
0: Yes. Way better. Okay. Ben, thanks so much for your help. Yeah. Okay. Let's jump into this other stat and then we're almost done with stats. So we can go back to just shooting the shit. I want to talk about the albums that made the list with zero consensus. And I think that this really speaks to, um, I guess the consensus of this list, not to overplay that word, but basically record number one through number 89 all had at least two people vote for it, which I think is, is very important when it comes to this. That's why I wanted to, to do it this way. But uh, of the albums that made the list that only one person voted for number 90, we talked that uh, Richie, Put it number four. Lars Frederickson and the Bastards, the album Viking, came in at number 90. Um, my number four was the Lawrence Arms LP, O oh Calcutta. So it came in at 91. Chris ranked Pressure Point, Resist and Riot, number nine. So it came in at number 95. Uh, Joe put Reach This Guy, Friends, Lies in the End of the World at number 10. It came in at number 97. And he also put A Night, A Place Called Home at number 11. That came in at 99. So Dan is truly a man of the people. Um, he doesn't have any of his by themselves that make the list. His highest uh, ranked record that did not make the list was hard skin, same meat, different gravy. Uh, it was ranked. His number 21 did not make the list. Um, the highest ranked record that made the list. And we all chose a different record. That's kind of interesting. Uh, Death be Vortus honor makes the list at number 28 with the LP Friends, Family, Forever. Uh, it got that record, specifically made the list because Joe put it number nine. Richie had ranked Count Me In at number 14, and I ranked Better Ways to Die at number 62. So it gets on there at number 28. And that's all I got for stats. We'll uh, we'll kick it to Ben at the end of the, the show to break down the international and uh, the regional stuff. But yeah, very interesting. Um, Overall, I'm pretty happy with anything. Dan, how do you feel
1: about the list in general, or
0: yeah, or anything yeah. you want to uh, pluck
1: out and talk on? Yeah, um, I'm surprised. Cold World only came in at number 27. I feel they've got a very, uh, a very good, like consistent. Every record is good and they've got a nice shadow over the decade in its entirety almost um i chose the ice grill 7 inch cuz i when that came out it just i was like this is exactly what i've wanted this is what i've wanted for you know 10 years of hardcore like like i've wanted something that connects these two worlds i love and doesn't do it in a fucking cringe way you know um, so well you should have gotten into E-Town <laughs> <laughs> why well, Like, let, let, that's, that's the
0: problem with a lot of this stuff right it's like we're people
1: are waiting for the safe version
0: you know of something
1: not, it's not the safe version but you know we can go into particulars why you know I feel something like hits me in the right spot where something doesn't and you know I don't want to You know, I'm not going to go there, but, (laughs) um, you know, I I don't regard it as a safe version. I just regard it as like really drilling into the, the other side of my record collection, you know, that's
0: fair. But like, it it could be seen as like the safer version of like an E-Town where like no warning is like a safer version of Madball. Is that incorrect?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of people couldn't agree more. Like the no warning record is, is almost like benefits from following Madball, right? You know, it's like, okay, this is, this is absolute perfect. Now let's, let's even hone this for just a tiny bit more catch, like catchier. I don't know. It's, it's hard. It, it's hero worship, but it comes off really well. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, all the tentpole records, all culminating into one like just riff extravaganza. Because the riffs on Ill Blood, fucking hell! Like Kool Aid Man through the wall right now. Like I just, yeah, it's great. I mean, I mean I, on the seven inch,
0: on the seven inch too. Yeah, right. The first, the first song on the seven inch has like it's a perfect hardcore song. Oh my god, maybe a, maybe a little long, maybe a little long, but nah, riffage and singing is perfect. I need
1: more um yeah <laughs> no no warning was my number two tragedy was my number three and mad ball was my number four so like like no warning and mad ball are right there like neck and neck essentially you know just the most perfect vibe based hardcore records there are out there like just the bounce that both of those records are delivering it's like I would not be mad if other people were ripping that off till the end of time, because it's just going to be giving me the bounce and the groove that I want.
0: Let's talk. We don't have too much uh, stuff outside of the U S but knuckle dust time won't heal. This comes in at number 40. Um, Dan talk on that record.
1: Well, it it's, this is a UK band that is essentially the band that has been going since the late nineties till now, never wavering from being just pure hardcore and holding down a scene when it, it got really thin for a long, long time. And, um, I mean, I think Richie and, and Joe can even talk to knuckle dust even stronger than I um, because of the the brotherhood that their bands have shared with Knuckle Dust, you want to speak on that, Richie?
2: Yeah, Knuckle Dust is key, very important, and uh, the way they communicated with us over here in the East Coast. You know, uh, we did a tour when when I was in Crutch in maybe '96, and we played with them in Belgium, and I, I remember thinking like how did these guys even know each other? Like they don't even look like they would ever cross paths <laughs> in real life. They were
3: the most randomly selected humans to be in a band.
2: Yeah. They, they, but it was so cool and it was brutal. And it was like, you know, it was like, you know, I, I was just totally impressed. And then from that day in the mail, sending stuff back and forth. And then, uh, then they have like a, a label, a little local London label connected to them. And then, you know, and then we have a little label over here, and it's it's just uh, it became a thing. But their releases were just getting better and better and better. And it's the same guys, the same four guys. Like what what band has you know twenty years plus with the same lineup? Absolutely. It just, uh, yeah, it's a special band, special bunch of guys. And yeah, even when London was on a low, those guys didn't give a fuck. I mean, if there's two people there, there they're acting the same. They're having a good time. They never complain. It's that band is the real deal and I just I think every release is better than the next like I really really like that band
1: I just have something special about that time won't heal this like it's yeah because when it came out it was so raw and as as listeners to the to the pod will know I'll always give a little extra ride in for something from the UK just because you know I look back and and love where I came from so you know, you just rep that a little bit harder. So when that came out, like, I had that CD because at the time CDs were a bit more dominant, and I just uh, played that like on tours all over, and and it was, <laughs> and it was like what Zach said when, you know, the posse Kids were embracing the hard stuff, like around Hold It Down and stuff too. So like. <laughs> It is uh, It was a thing. Death Threat, Knuckle Dust, Hold It Down were three of my choices that I used to terrorize the band <laughs> over my body with when it was my turn to drive.
0: Let's dig into the list and, and choose something on here that maybe you hadn't heard before uh, that you discovered or also just something that you want to highlight off this list. Um, what I would say for me is I had never heard... Dead stop, and it made the list. I think let me uh,
1: let me find it here again. Sick band from Belgium. Yep. Okay. Yeah,
0: and it was like really, really good. Um, yeah, Dead stop, done with you. LP comes in at number fifty-eight. I'd never heard it. Listen to it. Super awesome. Um, the other one I just wanted to highlight was Faded Grey came in at number thirty, and three of us voted for it. So I'm assuming that's me, Dan, and Chris. Um, yeah, ban, I don't know if they ever made it to the East Coast, but God, that LP, A Quiet Time of Desperation. I really am not a fan of like what people would consider like melodic hardcore, but this like LP is just like the one that like gets me like right in the right spot, you know. Um I've talked to Death on the Pod, like the metaphor that I use of like the marshmallow falling off the stick, you know? Like you're roasting a marshmallow, it's the best when it's just plump and before it's gonna fall off the stick. And obviously you don't want your shit to fall on the fire. Right. And like, this is there. Like if anyone takes it any further than this, I basically hate it, but for them, they just, it just touches on all these like emotional, like things in me. It just, yeah, I don't know. It just tickles me in the right way. And I I love this LP so much. Dan, you got anything on here that uh, you weren't aware of before that you dug or anything that you want to highlight?
1: Um, So something that I've wasn't that familiar. I'm pretty, m- it's pretty much everything on the the list that i at least have listened to well actually i don't really know title fight and i've probably listened to that lars frederickson and the bastards but i'm definitely going to go back and listen to it now with how strong the recommendation is to that you've shown me the lawrence arms before so that that's a thing but um there is a record that on the list that I don't know at all. So that is the one that I'm going to choose next to listen to. And I will, at uh, a later date, maybe for the Patreons, I'll, I'll break it down what I thought of it. But that is Stout Sleep Bitch. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I don't know that at all, but I'm going to go uh, give that a listen at some point, and, and I will uh, get back to you. Um, as far as like wanting to, um, kind of just show something maybe to the listeners that's like kind of deeper in the combined list that I, I think maybe like just give a shout out to, um, give a listen if they've never heard it. We've got, uh, 77 and 79. We've got, um, the no tolerance Boston straight edge seven inch. I think a lot of people are probably familiar with that. Uh, 76 justice look alive, seven inch amazing European hardcore band. And then uh, the horror show seven inch coming out of Joe's hood, Richie's hood. Um, super, super good. I would say like, give, give those three seven inches, you know, cause I love seven inches. Even if Zach's trying to kill that genre off, I mean that format <laughs> off, um, I will say, give Buy all three of those seven inches on Discogs and you're going to be really psyched. Yeah. And
0: that justice, be careful. Just get the oh, seven yeah. inch. Yeah. Cause the LP is like, that's, that's one where you don't want to go in and listen to the wrong record.
3: Yeah. Or yeah. book them on edge day. The record comes out. <laughs> yeah,
1: that, that LP is one of those things where, you know, like there's that funny, like movie part. That's like a meme now where it's just like, Oh, this is a betrayal. <laughs> The LP is a fucking betrayal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Chris, same question to you.
4: Man. Uh, <laughs> I have a funny E-Town story. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell that. Uh, I I think I'm the only person that didn't pick E-Town for this list. Um, not because I don't like that record, but just it's it's not one that I go back to uh, a time. I think
0: Dan didn't either. It's, it's only three of
4: us. I was, yeah, I was they, tried to be bribed.
0: that's right dan's too proud to be bribed
4: yeah um they were a band that only came out to seattle once um or fall city to be exact like which is like 45 minutes out in the middle of nowhere like in in the woods uh east of seattle uh they played with the hoods and it was a cool show and they were awesome and you know i got the record i still listen to it but it's it's just not in my top 100 but uh when change was just uh, back east uh, a couple months ago, we flew into Newark airport and everyone got in at like different times and I got in first. And so I had to kind of like just drive around and kill time, which uh, if you're familiar with that area, is, it's not too far from uh from E-Town. And uh, I, w- I picked up Mike, our guitar player, and uh, we were just driving around and, I'm like, and we had to kill like three or four hours. And, and I'm like, let's just go. I like, I look at my Google, this is like a total West coast, like <laughs> mistake, you know, West coast dude going to the East coast. Right. Um, I look on my maps. I'm like, let's just go find a park to just go lay down in and like take a nap or something. Right. And, uh, after we drove through this park, I realized they were right. It was right across the street from like the Elizabeth town, uh, projects or whatever, but we're driving through this park and, uh, there's like a, a running track around this lake or, or something and, uh, or like a marsh and. And there's like little workout stations and there's this one workout station that has so many dudes working out, like probably like 20 people. Right. And they're like doing the craziest, like just street workouts. Right. Like there's one guy doing pushups in the middle of the running track. Like people that are running on the track have to run around this dude or like step over him. Right. And then I, I'm so distracted by this dude doing pushups in the middle of the track but I missed it for a second. But I caught it right as we were about to drive by. There was a guy standing on top of the monkey bars, doing squats. And each squat, every time he would come up, he, or come up, he would punch himself like you know in the abs. And it was just like it was like such a crazy scene. And we were listening to E Town at the time because you know when in Rome. Um, so that's my E Town story. Um, <laughs> ah, to answer the question. Hmm. I want to talk on pressure point for a minute. Um, I had them, I think, at number nine. Uh, I think you said, I can't find them on the list, but I think it's somewhere around 90. Um, I just think this is, in my opinion, the best American Oi oy- records since Do or Die. Uh, this is a fantastic record. If you like um, Oi, this is, this is a fantastic record.
0: Jesus, sorry, I'm messing with my mute button. I, uh, <laughs> did you see the guy in the park that shot Logram? Sorry, bad. I E-Town didn't. Well,
4: I thought that was in like Houston or something.
0: Bad die for the fame joke. You, you uh, can't
2: say guy. You got to say the lyrics. I'm not
0: saying. Ah, it, I'm not saying
3: ah, the lyrics. <laughs> got him. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: backfire <laughs> on me,
0: dude. Etel, like I have a special place for them too, just because I don't know for whatever reason, like when I started playing in hardcore bands, like it was like a big thing that got put in us by, I don't know who or what, but like was to play hard every night, whether people showed up or not. Right. And like, I played in a band that toured and like, we played to like no people, a lot of nights and we always played hard. So like whoever, like you you can't, the diehards show up. Right. So if you draw 30 people, like those are the diehards, right? Like, why are you going to, punish the 30 people that show up and give them a bad show because 300 people didn't show up. Right. The realists show up. So they deserve you to play hard for them. Right. And I've always tried to do that. Um, And E-Town, like when they came out the first time I saw them, they played Galita to, I don't know, 20 people and they killed it. Right. Like I, I only had the first CD and like they came out, no one was there. Like they just weren't a popular band in the area. And that area is always, it was, hard to draw in any way, unless like you're a fat records band. Um, and they came and played and they played like really hard and like, were really good. And like, I don't know that just crossing over with like that, that punk mentality and having a band like that, like, like exhibit it, it just made me really love them. And like the second time I saw them was at chain reaction, like on a real, real mixed bill. It was like kill your idols, carry on in E town. And like, I don't know, there was maybe 80 people there. And, like, they were amazing. And that time they brought, like, the keyboard and shit. And I was like, fuck, these guys are getting down like this. Like, this is even better. You know what I mean? And then I think the third time I saw them was, like, what Joe was talking about on that. Edema or whatever. They played with Il Nino at, like, some, like, more, like, nicer club, like, in Hollywood. And it was, like, different by then. But, like, I don't know. Like, they just had, like, that. They were hardcore. Right? Like, we can look at it. I don't know. It's just, they were real and they came out and I felt that. And like, I connected to them like that. So some people like brush them off and, and joke this and that, but I don't know. Like they were, they were real when they
2: came out in my opinion. You know what about E-Town? You have to keep in mind when, you know, out this way, there was like a, definitely a big separation. And a band like E-Town was a joke to this snobby section of, elitist. Mm. But then we fast forward to now and that they they still exist and they they could do a headlining show in New Jersey and get, you know, 1500 people, 2000 people there and it's a big event and everybody loves it and everybody has their E-town tattoos and so it's almost like an underdog story for a person like me watching E-town because I was in in more in their camp than this other camp and mm-hmm just like e-town we didn't know why certain bands wouldn't fuck with us it was kind of weird you know we just thought oh yeah we're a hardcore band you guys are a hardcore band too bet they check it if you want and then you start feeling like oh okay it's like we're not the same for some reason you know so i look i look at e-town as like an an underdog you know that that did it and it, like you know just like they didn't blow up they're not like limp biscuit but they're like they did it as far as hardcore. Like now they are the respected hardcore band from the past. When people back then would say, what is this shit? This is not hardcore. You know, who are these people? Who are these kids? You know, they, they kind of turned it around and really made a name for themselves within the scene. You know, it was just, you know, against all odds really, because they didn't have the so-called popular people and popular bands backing them and asking them to do stuff. And, you know, at all
0: yeah yeah richie you want to pluck anything out of this list to speak on
2: you know what i was surprised that i I thought h2o uh that h2o album would be higher Mm. that's a real good album i thought it would really be up there i thought it would be in the top 20 easy i think it's in the 30s wherever we have it, which is not bad that's a great showing but very surprised i thought especially with uh you know, I thought, you know, we have some West Coast guys. They might like that style a little more anyway, but what do I know? I don't know.
0: Yeah, it comes in at number 44, H2O, nothing to prove. Um, and I think maybe just you and Joe went for it. It got the 10 bonus points, so two people voted for it. Um, oh, really? I, you
2: guys didn't even mess with it. Wow.
0: Dude, I, I like with a lot of stuff, like I'm, I swear to God, I'm not trying to be a hipster, but I just like the first record, <laughs>
2: you know, like.
0: This is the ball.
3: first palatable record since the first record.
2: Yeah, to me
0: it
3: was their
2: best one. Like I this this is the one I could listen to.
0: So
3: we're on the same page, Zach. I should really listen
0: to it. And and dude, even that first record, like I love it, love it. But I had to go and I put that in my software and I edited out all the skits. So like that's how I can listen to it. Because like Mm. I couldn't listen to that first record anymore because the skits are just so I mean I do skits. It's a sample. It's like I can't listen to this.
2: Did you do the same thing with the your one life crew record or no? (laughs) (laughs)
0: who, who, Who life crew? Yo, hey, ch- and, check and this and out have...
2: Let me ask you guys a question though, because when yeah, yeah. Joe was was totally diss- dissing uh, have heart on his rant, <laughs> yeah. he mentioned at their show there was a bunch of herbs. <laughs> do you guys use that word out in the West Coast or in the Not UK? Herbs is yeah. that a... yeah? Yeah, you do. No, I mean,
1: from hardcore. Yeah, no, from no one's hardcore.
0: ever said that on the West Coast. From, That's like no.
1: from hardcore.
0: Yeah, hardcore. it's so people that are larping right i you thought know. it was
2: a regional thing so i just wanted to know if you, okay that's what i herbs, that's i pretty, say a it cool a lot word,
1: because right? i hang out with jeff jock and he just says it all the time so yes he does i say it.
2: <laughs> herbs. <laughs> it's a great it's a great term yeah it's a good term but sometimes when i'm with certain people they don't they, they didn't know what I'm, i was talking about so uh yeah i was wondering when he said that i was like oh that's a good like a regional thing what if these guys know that deal <laughs> herbs it's you a, a very guys good. You've you got your own little slang out there. You like to call everybody a fool. What a fool! <laughs> <laughs> I like that though. I like that. Fool's a good one. Yeah. Timeless.
0: Timeless. Joe, you want to pluck anything on this off this list to speak on?
3: Yeah, there's a couple cool things. I see the unless I'm mistaken, the only split was the no reply. Lights halt, and that's a fucking six split. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that that made the list. I also was surprised to see an alkaline trio and murder city devils. Hit the list, but and and even Dillinger for it. Now that I'm scrolling second time, but I those bands were absolutely impactful to hardcore in general. Even though they would grow, I, I worked a couple shows in the 2000s, working shows for the Lawrence Arms, so I was pretty privy to them. The Vows, I was completely unaware of, but I, I like the diversity. I liked I love seeing strength for a reason to get loved. I love seeing a lot of bands that would not make someone who was trying to look cool for revolver uh in here, you know, like this is earnest. All these bands earned their place. And this is an earnest thing. No one tried to cool guy. Anybody.
1: Can you imagine and- if death threat had been number one on the revolver list?
3: <laughs> I-, I would, yeah. fi- I would, I would wonder who got bribed, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it- it's, it's, it's semantics and it's like, Oh, you know, we want to make sure this band and-, and and to go back to that first point, a band like set to explode never would have made the top hundred, and, and, and that's because it's the way it goes. It's always about thing. Now, obviously, the certain records probably were placeholders for bands, like in the case of the title fight thing. Like towards the end of the two thousands, here nothing could touch title fight. I mean, and, and to speak to what Dan was saying about um, Cold World, Dedicated was the record for me, and. um Uh, He didn't want to touch on there was a moment, just like with Madball to No Warning, where kids who were old enough and men, full ass men, were old enough to watch Madball, but chose the cap for No Warning. The kids, specifically two dudes in um, Cold World, really were adjacent to a hardcore scene that was very much what Cold World would eventually culturally appropriate for the nerds.
4: And it was only,
3: and it was only, and it, and it was only through the love of the Keystone Hardcore scene coming together that eventually all was absolved or forgotten. But there was a li- like a little line to say, and like, "Oh, now you guys are going to get funny and start, re- you know, being into this kind of stuff." Yeah, totally. In the beginning, in the beginning, it was like not mocking an E Town Concrete thing, but more or less like. Oh, you nerds wanna have your own hard band? <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like, well that but, whole I crowd
2: mean, always did everything out of being ironic. You know what I mean? Exactly.
3: It now you like, now this thank is you ironic. For saying
2: Check, that. listen to our new band. It's ironic. It sounds like this band. We're ironic. And those, some of those guys are my friends. I love the the lead singer, but a lot of them are are dorks, we gotta be honest. Just be, <laughs> they they were just obsessed with like mockery and like oh that's funny Ooh, that guy's wearing a puffy jacket oh my god oh my god it's like you know they were kind of they were like people walking through a zoo almost you know and well, they were
1: just What what's that, interesting you know. about that richie is like that's what's so cool about doing this project because you're in the trenches there you know like seeing that whereas we're consuming it on another coast just enjoying it for what it is to an extent yeah right yeah totally and to go back to what has been discussed, like in the E-Town ephemera, co- like um, conversation. Yeah. I fully admit like coming out like late nineties, I didn't give some of the harder hard bands uh, because it was a fucking like, it was like, you were like almost inculcated to be like, Oh, you know, there's always fights at these shows. They're ruining venue, you know, like DIY mm-hmm. venues, whatever. But it was all bullshit. It was all just absolute rumor mill bullshit because there was no, well, the internet provided a different kind of rumor rumor mill, but pre-internet, it was just straight up like telephone, you know? Like you. I heard this and I heard that. And like there was some times where, yeah, I was listening to like, Age of Quarrel, but I wasn't giving a band that sounded somewhat similar, that was made up of real dudes like a fair shake at the time in like 1997, where I absolutely should have been, and and you know I fully admit that, um and that's why like around, that's why what Zach says about like Death Threat being released by B Nine and, um, and Madcore coming. Uh, around that time and terror like just it opened i mean i was i wouldn't say like that was like i was already ahead of that curve uh, around that time but for many of the same people that were like i don't know for lack of a better term just thinking stupidly like these were massive gateways to opening like crushing all the walls down yeah and then as you say, the internet does provide other kinds of walls and other kinds of rumor mill bullshit, but it was like a, a thing. So maybe there was just a, an element of my blinkers being on in the late nineties to not giving E-Town a fair shake. But also there was the N word <laughs> that was in there, which,
2: you know, was the N word a thing back then? Like not I, at honestly, all. back then it was like, I didn't think twice of it. like, I mean, not Here, anyway, the N-word was, uh, I mean, every white boy that was semi, no, I, lived in around an urban area, they just talk like that. And and uh, I didn't think twice. I know later on now, yeah, like, yeah, come on, you should know I didn't know about, about it to the
3: Eagles parade. The young kids said that you're not allowed to say that word. I was like, which word? <laughs> I couldn't figure out what word it was. Then they said the deal. I was like, oh, shit, I didn't know it was over.
2: Like, we know you're not allowed to say the N-word as yeah. in the- er but we didn't know you're not allowed to say the a one which was like friend you know what i mean yeah yeah but uh it was yeah that was totally normal and uh at the time and uh i don't think they that they didn't think like yo saying this is gonna give us like street cred or something i don't even it was just like unfortunately it was just in the terminology at the time and if if anybody acts like oh if you said that you would get your ask no quite opposite everybody said it in front of Every well, race, uh, Chinese kids were saying it. The Spanish kids <laughs> were saying it, like it, but not in the, you know the racist form. Like no, one hundred percent. Right, and,
0: yeah. and also and also E Town, E adapted because by the by the album that you guys chose, the Renaissance, it's not on there.
1: Yeah. Well, and and also, if we're talking two thousands, there were plenty bands out west saying the F word, uh, not fuck the other F word on stage mm. like mosh ufs and stuff like that and oh yeah that yeah. was extremely distasteful to me at, at the same time but you know it was just a a thing of of the times that you know people have grown from you know but it yeah it was and if you
2: th- you know what it would be embarrassing if you're ban if you're like you have footage of your band and you're up there and you're saying that i'd be like ah oh, damn it man i can't believe that shit's out there but yeah at the time i mean that's what people said you're looking back like yeah that's pretty eff- like what if there's a dude in the audience and it's like oh come on what the fuck is wrong with you you're insulting people you don't you don't think twice it's just a word but yeah people learn you know Yo, you're right band said that left right and center on like back then it was crazy
3: so check this we put we go as a roadie dysphoria common correct tour we got to we get to gilman street and because gilman's weird like that the bill was RIP Sammy, the Mick, all bets off, dysphoria. And then it was uh, kill the man of questions from Philly, page 99, and then come and correct. Sick lineup. And Sammy, the Mick got up first and he dropped the ha- the F. Yeah. And no factor while he played.
2: Sammy, the Mick.
3: And then uh, show gets to come and correct. Page ninety nine said something, but we didn't really catch all what was going down. To kill the man of questions, people we I knew them because I went to the punk shows in the area, but we weren't friendly, and they were older than me. And then during coming correct, Rick was like, "We all got to get along," and saying whatever crazy spiel he had. And um, Andrew, who actually plays in Limp Rest, and this is why I put his thing on my my thing. He was like, "Yo, well, then if if everyone feel, should feel good, why are you, why are you good with him saying that?" He was confronting Rick on stage, Eternal Hulk for level. So outside, we're talking, and he's the one who put me onto it. That saying the F was the same way as saying the hard R, and no one in my entire life have ever said that.
1: Mm. Yeah.
3: So I'm standing here at like 19 years old in California, somebody who lives in Philadelphia, basically putting me onto to like you don't really understand what that means. That really fucked my whole world up. I'm like,
1: wow, gotta that's, watch that work. That's the absolute, that's the true essence and beauty of like punk and hardcore right there really is the ability to confront something, but not with just single-minded, like I'm just going to talk over you because I'm right. It's like, let me show you why. And this is my personal, this is my personal experience with it. And this is why this is, fucking ruined my life and if that is allowed to happen in this free drinking space we've lost you know and i think that's i think that's awesome
3: yeah it was it was it was a learning moment another thing i should say um there was a time in this area in philadelphia specifically which is why my list is a little skewed towards some of the faster hardcore stuff death threat bulldoze um Definitely 25 to life. E-Town Concrete, Fury of Five was known as Joe Hardcore Hardcore.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Because I was like the kid who, I mean, in, in my book, my first show 16 in 97 in, in March. I was the one trying to bring this kind of stuff because we were going and seeing it elsewhere, but they weren't really playing. And it was almost like a mockery. And then towards the end of the 90s, like E-Town now is playing the Trocadero then the people who were mocking this stuff is either for it or they're already out of hardcore. I find it very bizarre that at a time when like other stuff was very popular that all of a sudden the things that we were kind of made fun of f- for like got bigger in this whole entire area. And, and I love that you guys put some love on the stout because they got a lot of, they had a lot of people at the, in the two thousand. same thing for strength for a reason. There's a lot of bands that were smaller a lot of those records in the in the forties and fifties in the list were smaller, but their impact impacted people in hardcore. So his list is really cool in that regard. And uh I I just really like that, you know, if someone's if someone is young and wanted to check out some records, man, you know, you can't go wrong at stop and think. You can't go wrong at some of these actually you said faded gray. I remember they're from Vegas. That's why that's why they never came to the East, but we played Vegas and Reno pretty regularly on our tours. So we played with them one time, but I, until you put that on the list, I'm like, Oh, Shane thought about that band in years.
1: I think they might you have know? done a small tour with count me out. Uh, that was, it was a very small uh, national tour that they did with count me out.
3: Um, That's, that's probably it. Also, another thing is the explosion. Dude, there was a minute in Philly and Boston and Richmond where that band, for hard like in hardcore before they went and played bigger stuff, every hardcore band from those city, every hardcore kid, everyone loved them. So I'm glad to see some of these snapshots and the things that were still around. Overall, I was just happy that you guys asked us to be a part of it. I know this is like, you know, the 185 miles off. You guys are the the best hardcore podcast talking about real music, real records, and real cool shit. So I was really happy to be a part of it and get to go back and forth with you guys, and also it's kind of crazy to think of the diversity of each individual's list. Are you guys going to be posting these lists for everyone to consume? Yeah, they're or up. Just the main list?
0: They're up. Everyone can check the list is on the website. 185 miles And all our individual lists are up on the the website too.
3: Dude. That's so fucking cool. Yeah. I mean the beauty and hardcore in the two thousands and Daniel was a part of this. I mean, he played a basement in West Philadelphia with death threat and Terror's first tour. You know, like that's crazy. Like, his band was a part of a basement show. And you can't even book any of them bands at a basement now. The mm-hmm. fucking house would get shut down by the police. But well, you know what? But the at the time later? there were still bands having to go down to the basement to build their bands up. I mean, I see mental in basements. I see a lot of, I, I fucking hate a house show now. You can't get me to see anybody unless it's wisdom <laughs> and change because Richie's my best friend. Aside from that, I'm not seeing none of any Raggedy. No house. What
2: are you crazy? That's what I'm saying.
3: I ain't playing no fucking raggedy unless basement they got shows. Good food. Yeah, maybe yeah. If the mom's cooking something nice, nice sweet sauce, you know, maybe we'll come by. But the, a lot of cool shit came from the basements of hardcore. And I, and I almost wish that sometimes bands would go back, not to do it anachronistically, but go back to the DIY part and, and build the names up the right way. Because that's why those records from those bands who did that work then stick out 20 years later to me
1: that's my perspective on that list you know what's funny joe is and
2: you know what you guys schooled me on uh, carry on and count me out i gotta i oh, gotta check this shit out now. you're
3: gonna love it dude. Rich. carry on sick those fucking records dude i'm telling you rich like
2: joe I'm you know how you. i get i kind of lose focus and i just well
3: you uh, gotta remember also and and this is for everyone listening we were divided by cities and different groups like Carry On never played a proper venue in in the Pennsylvania area, except for maybe like, maybe if that. I don't think that Lemoyne venue was out. They were playing like the Stalag thirteen, and like they were playing different stuff, you know. Um, so like, we and the internet didn't make everybody. You weren't able just to click on a screen and scroll down and see this. So they either hit the Carry On or you weren't, because Philly had it, and that's what the kind of shows. I was always like, well, I'm gonna go see some hardcore. And I was glad I was, because Carry On literally them and internal affairs and, you know, that whole California thing that was coming out. Even I noticed a throwdown, even though it was Haymaker Throwdown made it out. Like the California scene came up hard in the 2000s
1: out here.
0: Mm. Dan, what were you trying to say?
1: It's funny you bring up that um, basement show with Death Threat and Terror because that tour was, you know, Vogel and I would be down front for Death Threat every night singing Dead at Birth and then Terra played London last night and I'm over here for a holiday visiting friends and we went down for the high viz terror show and um I'm up front singing along. They they go into um Dead at Birth and I I just start losing my shit and <laughs> singing along and Vogel like pulls me up on stage and makes me like sing like some of it and it was just that full 20 years like rounding the corner of like this was what we were doing 20 years ago together singing along to our favorite band you're covering them you see me in the crowd we're in a different country and he pulls me up on stage and it's just yeah it was just speaking to what you were just talking about for that basement show it's just so poignant that this happened last night is
4: that like when nick cave pulled you up on stage
1: Pretty much. I don't know who's the bigger legend, Vogel or Nick Cave. It, it's very close. I think Definitely we played that Vogel. basement with
0: my luck and final plan. What a bunch of freaks.
1: <laughs> Alright, Dan, final thoughts on the pod? Um, I I mean, I I can't state how much I love talking hardcore, reminiscing and chopping it up to where we see what has the staying power and the lasting power and what you know, this awesome semi-scientific process does to allow us to drill down to what really are the records that matter. Now, I encourage all the people who are going to listen to this pod, especially those ones who will be screaming at us, Jane Doe is low ranked, because it, it arguably is. It just doesn't matter to these five people as much as it does to the people who are screaming at their phones right now. But I do encourage every listener who has, you know, got through the pod to this point, like hit though when we post about this on the one eight five Instagram, hit with all the things that you think we missed. Hit with things that you think maybe wouldn't have made the list, but it's definitely worth checking out, like a a deep cut from the arts. Like, let's keep this discussion going because this is just the the rich that's the thing about you can be a music fan of a million different genres out there and you can have a few cool discussions. But the thing about being a hardcore kid and like a part of this thing of ours type stuff is that we cut through the bullshit and we know what really matters and we know who was real and, and what they meant and, the things that have the staying power. It's unlike any other genre in the world. And that's why talking it is so important. So that's the thing I'd like to leave uh, talking about this list and encouraging further discussion with people because that's the richness of doing a project like this. Yeah. And also, you can send in your list,
0: right? 185 miles south at gmail.com. If you uh, go on these these lists, you know, they're there by the decade. And then when you click through, you can see the individual lists of all the people that voted to uh, to make up the master list. But then at the bottom of that, there's a link to all the listener lists. So anyone that uh, wants to put their money where their mouth is, send in a list. You know, it's easy to complain. But man, when you go through this process and almost everyone to a person that's emailed me lists or hit me up and sent in stuff, they're like, you know, I had no idea how hard this was going to be until I did it. And so respect for all the people that did and they're on the website. The listener lists are up. So shout out to all those people that, uh, have participated from the seventies and beyond. And, and if you got lists for 2000, send them in. I'll post them on the website. This is a group effort. This whole podcast is a group effort. Um, you know, so Joe, I, I take that, that, uh, you appreciate being a part of this, but we needed you guys, right? Like hardcore is so easy, you know, back in this era that we're talking about, like they're just blind spots, right? Like I needed you guys. So strength for a reason, like gets on the list, right? They're a band that doesn't come out here. I listen to them. I like it, but I don't really know where to start. I don't know how to attack the catalog, but like they do need to be on here, right? It's top 100 of the two thousands. It should be on here. And so we need your guys help on that. And, and you guys did a great job. So I appreciate you guys. Uh,
4: Chris, final thoughts on the pod. Uh, yeah, two things. I think first, like, I've listened to you guys do the previous decades before this, and every time I, I just, I appreciated hearing uh, your perspectives, and and every time I thought, man, I'm glad I'm not doing this with them because <laughs> this is just going to be murder, like you know, like, and and it was, it was really hard to kind of like, uh, put together a list that felt like true to myself and and also kind of weigh some some perspectives that i think probably um are are wider than my own opinions and and factor that in a little bit and uh i mean the amount of like tinkering i did with my list like moving things up like two spots or down three spots like Mm -hmm. the amount of torture that went into like the hundred and one, you know, and hundred and two and like those that just missed the list because it's a lot of really good stuff. Like I'm looking right now at my list and it's just like overflowing with like, you know, 30 more bands that I I didn't get to get on my list that I think are really cool. So um it's all fun. Like I don't think I know anything more than anyone else out there, but I love hardcore and I love talking about hardcore that I love. So thanks for letting me do this. And then the other the second thing I wanted to uh to bring up i didn't catch uh we we're i think we we're missing the ghost of someone on this uh it the ghost <laughs> of ian curtis did you veto any any picks the ghost of tim yohannan <laughs> um, no I, I didn't veto any picks because
0: dan didn't line step this time around and we didn't have bedge so uh there was no line stepping all this stuff is straight up hardcore lots of stuff uh that didn't make the list is still straight up hardcore no one fucked around and tried to like sneak through some bullshit. which happened in all the previous decades. The ghost
1: Um, of Ian Curtis would have put A.N. at number one.
0: (laughs) The ghost of Ian Curtis might have allowed you to put Joy Division, Unknown (laughs) Pleasures, as number one punk record of the 70s. But you know, I ain't letting that fly, and neither is Tim (laughs) Yohannan. So, what's up? All right, uh, Richie, final thoughts on uh, this podcast and then the list as well.
2: You know what? What we did for the hardcore kids out there, it's something special. I hope they appreciate this. We did a lot of hard work, right, boys. We put it together, we thought about this, we dug deep, and uh, in the end, we gave them a combined list that is second to none. It should go down in in the in the history books. The definition of of the 2000s can be called upon at any time by future hardcore archaeologists to study and our list will be their main artifact. This is a second important. that. Yes. Good times. Yeah, I appreciate it. it. I had a, I had a fun time doing it. I thought it was going to be hard and it was hard. But we all took it serious. Nobody fucked around. Joe took a little longer than we wanted. We, you know, we had to wait for him, but he <laughs> was really uh he really put his mind to it and we got it done.
0: <laughs> yeah, shout out to Richie, the only one that voted to get noodles on the list. I love it. That's it. But, yep. Um yeah, I I appreciate that, Richie, cuz I think it's important to put this stuff out there. It's hard and it's hard to put your name on something, but it's important to talk about this stuff and, you know, we got inspired by Pusshead doing his list of the 80s. And as critical as you want to be, right? You can look at anything and tear it apart, but at the end of the day it's just like it's a starting point, it's a conversation piece and it's like if you were to make someone a playlist of like the top 50 or this top 100, like It is pretty representative of the 2000s. So, while it may not be the be-all, end-all for everyone, it is a great starting point. And I think we uh, we touched on on a lot of stuff. So, I think it is representative and in a pretty good list. Joe, what's your uh, final thoughts here?
3: Again, just to be included in a conversation about hardcore is always fun. But when it's with people amongst my peers, my friends, people that I've known for so long and whose opinions I respect. It's it's just nice to be a part of this. I I truly have a time when I read this shit on the internet when these lists come out and I just grind my teeth. And then the social media way of constantly tweeting and all that gets on my nerves. So to have a good conversation and not have any like grinding points where we can't agree would aggravate me. Whereas with this, we all kind of went back and forth. And I think it's important. There's a lot of younger kids who do not want to feel uncool. So they'll say things like, well, nah, I'm not really my thing. Instead of saying, yo, you know what? I never heard of this. So maybe this list gets a second look at some of these records that deserve another shot, you know, or got buried because people were only talking about America Nightmare Bay and Have Heart and Madball, you know, like maybe some, some of these things that got filtered through into this list will get some kids excited about stuff they never heard of. And that's also another key reason why I thought it was great because even though there was a lot of diversity in the thoughts, we all kind of came together on key records and I just appreciate being a part of it.
0: Hell yeah. Everyone check out the the list. 185 miles It's up there. The main list, which is a combined list as well as all our individual lists are on the website. And also there is a playlist for every episode, 185 miles Click that playlist link at the top of the page and you can listen to the music uh, we talked about. So this is a pretty good 2000s playlist. I've listened to it a bunch since I made it. And uh, you guys can all vibe. Check that out. Uh, Dan, where can people find you?
1: On Instagram at Southport Instagrammer.
0: Chris, where can people find you?
4: Uh, Chris Williams 51 on Twitter and Instagram. And also NWHC Radio on both Twitter and Instagram. Oh, yeah. Richie, where can people find you if you want them to?
2: Uh, I don't have any personal Instagram, but the band Wisdom and Chains on uh, on Instagram, and and a new label Never Ran Never Will on Instagram. Follow that for some good upcoming future releases.
0: Hell yeah, Joe! Where can people find you
3: at the Joe Hardcore Instagram and Twitter?
0: Hell yeah, everyone get at me one hundred eighty five miles south at gmail That's the best way I respond to everyone. You can also get at one hundred eighty five miles south on Instagram or Twitter. That one gets a little weirder. I don't know how it works, so I might not get back to you. The Gmail is the best way. Also, my personal Zach Retaliate on Instagram. And you know, Retaliate is the best LP of the 2000s. 2006 Retaliate, coup d'etat. What's up, everyone? Listen to that shit. Learn it. Love it. I love you all. We'll talk to you all soon.